to our brand new show It's not that complicated so listen close We'll go through IMDB Reviewing all of Tom Hanks movies Hanks Bank, Hanks Bank Hanks Bank, Hanks Bank Hanks Bank, Hanks Bank Hanks Bank Dear Jamie I left you alone with the UK for only about two months. In that time, everything seems to have gone to shit. I'm not sure what's happened, and to be honest, and frank, I'm quite annoyed with this. First of all, Brexit did successfully happen. While I was in the UK, Brexit was stopped. I think there is a clear correlation here about the rest of you guys not pulling your fucking weights. Two, coronavirus. I can only assume this started because I left the country. I appreciate that it started because I was in China. I wasn't in China, sorry. Coronavirus started in China. But you guys didn't do enough to stop it reaching our shores, all right? This is not enough, Jamie. you got to step it up, okay? I left you in charge of the United Kingdom, and suddenly everything's gone to shit. <laughs> Yours sincerely, Al. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I don't take any responsibility for either of those things. Uh, as someone who uh, staunchly voted against Brexit uh, and I guess uh-huh, has been uh-huh, phys- uh-huh. physically fighting coronavirus with his two hands. Thank um, God. Um, it's clearly nothing to do with me. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's not It's not great over here. You've, you've, I, you, you put it as you left and then everything's gone to shit. Um, I put it as... You have left me in the shit. <laughs> you have left me and everything. You've fled to a country that I assume has free healthcare. I don't know. We also have free healthcare, but I imagine it's better in Canada. You fled me oh, to, no, to no, an idyllic no. village that's not trying to separate itself from any unions it's in. Also, yeah, I imagine it's a village. I know it's probably one of the biggest countries in the world, but it feels like it has a village spirit. It has, it has, Here's a, the thing. It has a heart of a village. What I find very weird is that uh, it is geographically the second largest country in the world, uh, but in terms of population, it's not even half as big as the UK, which is <laughs> deeply weird. Uh, so in, so in, your tra- of- in your travels, you have met all three people. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I lo- met a lot of moose. The moose were cool. Uh, you know, the moose <laughs> uh, were my friends, Jamie. I think, I think the plural is meese. Meese? Yeah. Meanies? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look, in terms of healthcare, and I did not know this before I uh, left the UK, Canadian healthcare, okay, not great. <laughs> in terms of prescriptions, in the UK, the best thing is prescriptions always cost like seven quid or something. In Canada, they can be very, very, very much more expensive, which is why I refuse to go to the doctor, despite the fact that I'm running out of Ventolin inhalers, because uh, I am cheap <laughs> as fuck and still don't have a job. Uh, so please, if anyone wants to employ me so I can buy things necessary for my healthcare, uh, that would be great. I've been I, told I, by Alyssa that it is free, but uh, I don't believe it very much. Yeah, I was going to say I was fairly sure you don't have any long-term disease and hope you don't develop some. But no, you, you need inhalers to like breathe. Oh, and that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a general human function that most people yeah. need. Um, but you know what's another general human function that most... Oh, oh look at that Foley work there. Inhaling his inhaler on the podcast. Uh, but you know what another general human function that at least I need to do is... Poop. Say, hello! <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I think that's the only other time I've fully been thrown off at the middle of saying that. Um, yes, I do need to poop, but I also need to say hello and welcome to Hanks Bank, the show where we chronologically review Tom Hanks' entire IMDb. I'm Jamie Loxon, and with me, as always, it's my co-host, Al Gillespie. Say hello, Al. Bonjour, Al. 
Yes. Uh, well, uh, anyone who's a, a new listener that may, may well have uh, got involved, we've, we've probably pushed this episode quite hard because we've gone through the one of minisodes. Yeah. We're through the minisodes. Oh, yeah. This episode's currently be four hours long. Um, let's explain mm-hmm. a little bit of what's happened here. If you're a new listener, um, previously we did record this uh, in the same room. Um, mm-hmm. So when I said mm-hmm. uh, with me as always, um, yep. that that was always correct up until now. But now yeah. uh, across across the the interwaves uh, and and on the screen in front of me is my dear co-host Al because he has moved to Canada. He has been traveling yeah. across Canada for the last three months, um, which is why we've been releasing these minisodes. He has finally settled in Vancouver. Is that not correct? That is true. That is true. I am yep. in Vancouver as we speak. Yeah, uh, and so we are now continuing again uh, as a remote podcast. Uh, but before we get into any of what this show normally is, hello, Al. Hi. Hello. We've, we've Hi, spoken, friend. We've spoken like once hello. in the last three months. We spoke. Whoa, 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 whoa. We spoke once, and I think you'll find I sent you about two postcards. All right. So you've got your goddamn postcards, you, Jamie. I don't know what you're complaining about. You did send me postcards, and um, yeah. Not not to uh, make any suppositions about uh, either our friendship or uh, the friendship you have with either of my flatmates. I do believe us uh, as closer friends uh, than my flatmates. <laughs> and yet, when my flatmates received the postcard, which, you know, I'm sure yes. it, was, it, was all, it was directed to the whole flat. That's fine. I, I, I think so, I'm, yeah. I feel like they would have recognised that yeah. I might be the person who would have been <laughs> most personally touched by that postcard. And neither of them fucking told me about it! Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I know, I found it like a week later just sat on the side in our living room and i was like what the fuck al sent us a postcard you know, can you read it i'm like no and they're like well yeah no i left it on the side i'm like yeah it's a postcard i assumed it wasn't for me if no one tells me post this for me i don't just read other people's posts um so yeah i did receive your postcards but later than mm. uh, than other people received your postcards i am very, very sorry i, I it, will no, it was, it was uh, never very, write very a postcard sweet. to miles and hannah again no, no, but it was very, very sweet. I've also been surviving as uh, you gave me just before we left uh, a um, framed picture of both of us that has been sitting on oh. my desk since then. So that's how I've been surviving. Uh, but how yeah. how was your travels? How was traveling across Canada? It was very good. Uh, w- when I say it was very cold, that sounds obvious. Uh, but let me tell you what, it was fucking cold. <laughs> um, it got to like minus 25. And like, Jesus you know, Christ. I've lived in Scotland. It's like minus four five a couple times a year that's kind of cold i've even been in minus like 14 in scotland i think ellen can agree sometimes scotland cold uh canada much colder much much colder i was ill prepared for christmas all i got for christmas was warm weather gear that's kind of weird like you know all my brothers and sisters are getting these nice like an ipod or something i don't know i nano and here i am getting a big jacket and my parents are like we don't want you to die this is all you're getting and I was like, okay, thanks. That was necessary. I would have died otherwise. Um, <laughs> it was cold enough. You know how, like, there's a temperature... You're going to get to, like, the desert somewhere, and it's so hot you can cook an egg on the sidewalk. Yeah. It was so cold, you could probably cold boil an egg. I'm not sure if a cold boiled egg is a thing. Maybe, like, a, like a frozen is. egg. Yeah, I think frozen. I think frozen is the word people use. And I'm not, I'm not a culinary expert, but I, I yes. think that's the term. So we did that. We kind of went to lots of different places, uh, tried lots of different things. I've actually got um, a segment here from my diary, if uh, it'd be okay if I read that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I was keeping a kind of a little bit of a diary. Uh, you know, I, I was bad at keeping it all the time, but this one is uh, on day 31. We were in Jasper, and uh, as some people may know... Uh, who's uh, Jasper? 
Uh, Jas- it's, a, it's a joke. I said, okay. who's Jasper? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. get it? Ha ha ha. Okay, carry on. <laughs> okay. So the diary entry is uh, labelled Day 31. We lost the map, but found legal recreational marijuana. I start this letter reluctantly admitting that I continue to be a stain on our family's good name. I was writing to my family at the time. I lost the map. We've been getting... uh, We get everyone to write on. I'm overwhelmingly gutted about this. It was a wonderful totem of home gone. We had it out while on the train. I fell asleep with it in my hands and then I lost it. We're not sure how, though I blame Melissa for trusting me with it. She gets at least 15% of the blame. This drove me to legal recreational drugs. We arrived in the small Rocky Mountain town a little before half eight in the morning and hopped a cab to the motel. It was here we found out my, our, big mistake. While Alyssa unpacked, I ran by foot back to the train station, got the trains to stop, got on the train two minutes before it was due to leave the station and looked for the map while apologising profusely, but to no avail. I trudged back to the hotel despondent. Things perked up over breakfast. We went for a wander around town. We noticed a number of shops that sold legal recreational products. We were weak. It is important for the story that you know that uh, in Canada, unlike in the UK, uh, marijuana is legal. Uh, however, being British, uh, I felt like a bad boy. It is at this point <laughs> I must tell you that up until this point, I never bought a cannabis-based product. Indeed, a relation with the substance could be labelled. Uh, sorry, a relation in relation with the substance, I could be labelled as a square, a dweeb, a point dexter. We last visited Jasper either when I was 11 or 12. The town of 8,000 people has not changed much from then. Nestled in the Rocky Mountains, Jasper is defined by its natural beauty. Things have changed with me. No longer 11 or 12, I'm 24 or 25 and edgy. That day, my brother would <laughs> Wait, ask if felt... do you not know how old you are? <laughs> like Jack Carrack. I'm on the two. Like the late author... I had a moral lapse. I bought an edible in the form of two pieces of chocolate, not in a dodgy back alley, but in a clean, bright shop that looked more like an apple store than it did a den of iniquity. I paid by card. I beg all of you for your forgiveness to say that I took legal recreational products back to my hotel room and I ate it. I pray you all forgive me. Uh, and that was just a little experience of what candle was like for me. Uh, not that I did a load of weed the entire time, but you know, if I had wanted to, I could have. It was cold, illegal <laughs> drugs. Uh, that did it once, and um, yeah, that was the most interesting thing. Jasper, an interesting place up in the Rocky Mountains, um, known for good skiing, and also as we were walking to a hotel, uh, a uh, what's the an internment camp? We found a big po- oh. like a one of those travel signboards from an internment camp, and we were like, huh, interesting. Uh, and you know, Canada, uh, interesting country. Lots of yeah, history. interesting. I'm sure uh, we'll hear we'll hear much more about it as the weeks go on, as you learn more yeah. and more about it. Uh, it's interesting history. Have I ever yep. told you uh, the story of the first time I ever smoked weed? No, what is the story of the first time you ever smoked weed? Um, so I was probably seventeen at the time. I think. Um, I thought you were about to say w- seven. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I did grow up on the mean streets of Peckham, but uh, no, yeah. I, I managed to hold off smoking weed until uh, until I was probably sixteen, seventeen, definitely before yeah. I left school. Um, and uh, I was with some friends, and and you know, some some weed came out at a, a social gathering, and I thought, why not? I'll try it. Um, mm-hmm. The issue was uh, that I had uh, I wasn't a huge drinker at the time, uh, yeah. and so what I had had uh, was three cans of Red Bull. Um, in around about the 45 minute period prior to uh, to smoking the marijuana. Now, uh, for anyone who uh, has not smoked weed or not drunk um, Red Bull, uh, the active resultant of uh, Red Bull is lots of energy. Uh, and mm. the active resultant of weed is zero energy it's very much a relaxant um and will, yes. and will make you not able to like it will, it will relax you in the you know make you you know have a chill time 
Um, mm. So what that resulted in was me lying on a sofa, unable to move because of the weed, but oh, with God. so much energy that I was literally like spasming and throwing my arms out and like kicking my legs out. Like not actually like having any sort of like seizure or anything, but just I couldn't move. I couldn't I couldn't get up and walk anywhere, but I had energy and needed to do something with it. So I was punching the air and kicking the air for like 40 minutes. Uh, uh-huh, and then uh-huh. I didn't smoke weed for another like three or four years after that. Because I was I like, mean, fair enough. Uh, uh, yeah, I need a break. Uh- yeah, uh, Jamie, uh, in my story, I told, uh, you know, me doing legal things, and in your story, you outed yourself as a criminal from a young age, and I hope you uh, are yes, ashamed. Yeah, no, 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 I'm, I am a hardened criminal. However, as we yep. know, the reason you have fled to Canada is because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, of your cr- crime syndicates that you set up in oh, London yeah. that you were, uh, you were fleeing uh, to Canada to escape from. Yeah, dear listeners, uh, in my attempts to storm the Bastille to kind of recreate the French Revolution in the face of a uh, modern Brexit... Uh, I encourage all of you to take your friends' phones to download our podcast, every single episode of their podcast, and then give it back if you so wish. If not, just keep it. It's fine. Keep on downloading it. Use it. Build the syndicate. Uh, and because of this, the police were quickly on my tail. Uh, also because of my association with known cannabis user, Jamie Jones. Uh, and... As a result, I uh, had to flee very quickly in the middle of the night. I left Jamie with all my stuff, saying, if you could clean up my flat, that would be great. Jamie went, oh, for God's sake. Uh, and I left to the cold north. It took me four weeks to get across via boat. Ooh, something fell over. Um, and uh, on the boat, I met a, uh, a drunk German called Igor, who has become my caddy. Uh, and yeah, we've been having a good time in Canada. Um, so Jamie, what do we do here on this podcast? Oh, I see. I was about to passively aggressively ask you why you hadn't asked what the fuck happened with me for the last three months. You know, oh, I, oh, I've oh, also had a life for you? three months. What about you? Well, yeah, yeah, my, life, my life's been pretty good. And you know this, but our dear listeners don't yes. know this. Um, in fact, I don't think I've uh, I've sort of vaguely alluded to it uh, that me and my girlfriend um, were long distance for quite a long while uh mm. and i say were because my girlfriend's yeah. moved to london isn't that oh, exciting she now lives in exciting. london she got a job down here uh, she is yeah. sitting all six yards from me uh so yeah. much like you're uh, much i was gonna say maligned but that's not the word i was looking for uh but uh, much put aside girlfriend she now knows uh, what it feels like to be to be sat alone uh, while the podcast is going on and she also knows what it's like to sit while i watch a tom hanks uh, film mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. we sat and watched uh, this tom hanks film together for the first time and it was Aww. so adorable she got into london yeah. literally yesterday and Aww. the first thing we did was watch a tom hanks film i mean that is um, impressive yeah so i I'm feel like she's very that. much regretting it I've, I've got I've got to end, unfortunately, to, upon her misery, uh, you're going to have to tell her that she is no longer our Scottish correspondent. Uh, as she's now in London, we are going to have to take back her press credentials, and if anyone <laughs> wants to apply to be our correspondent from Scotland, they are more than welcome to write in at Hank's Bank Pod <laughs> So, while, yes, while, while she has been uh, promoted uh, in her real life yes. to having a job, uh, in my life she has been demoted. <laughs> I mean, thank God. Uh, yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's that's the main thing that's happened in my last three months. I th- thought that would oh, be a fun thing to share on the that, podcast. That is you know? that is um, a fun thing to share. That's ha- a very fun I'm thing to share. I'm happy for oh, sorry once. To that's ask. great. Oh, oh. Um, but what do we do on this podcast? Well, of course, we are the show that chronologically. I'm sorry, you you did do such an obvious lead into yeah, this. I I, no, I apologise. But it's, of course, I need I need to be passive aggressive at some point on the show. Otherwise, it's not really Hanks Bank. Um, so yes, we are the show that chronologically reviews Tom Hanks' entire IMDb. But of course, that's not all we do. 
Now, Jesus Christ, Al, this has been probably, well, probably more than three months now, maybe four months since I've summed up this this story, the law oh, of yeah. our podcast. So let's see mm-hmm. how I do. Uh, okay. And feel feel free to, uh, just if I've forgotten anything, feel free to, to I'll, hop in. I'll, I'll chuck it in. We'll do. Yeah. So so one day, two young men who, who used to live in the same city uh, mm-hmm. were, were pootling along near Piccadilly Circus, uh, along a street what? called Regent Street. Uh, a street that one of, us, one of us claims has never heard of. And we saw, yeah. we saw a trampoline. Um, mm. and, and we were we were thinking we were bouncy boys. We were boys that wanted to bounce. And so we got on the trampoline and we bounced. Mm-hmm. And we said, bounce, yes. bounce. And everyone around us, that we drew a crowd, they were saying, bounce, bounce. And then, as we were held in suspended animation, uh, someone said, is that a bird? Is that a plane? No, it's fucking aliens. Um, and yeah, there were, there were aliens holding us in a tractor beam. Um, sorry, yes, I should have said those two bouncy boys were were indeed the aforementioned Al and Jamie. Uh, if that was unclear, um, I, I I didn't know. I had forgotten. <laughs> uh, so long ago, uh, it, it was. This was this was oh around October 2018, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And so we were held in suspended animation by a tractor beam, and we were drawn up to this alien spaceship. Yeah. And. This alien spaceship, uh, we, were, we were greeted by, uh, by a bunch of mm-hmm. aliens. We saw a bunch of little baby aliens running past that looked like baby Yodas, of course. Um, uh-huh. And they started speaking to you because I did not understand. This, this was, this was well, pure gibberish language to me, but yeah. you understood because they were speaking Swagheeli, a language which I do not speak, but mm-hmm. that you have spoken since birth. Uh, and they explained to you. Uh, that they come from the United... I almost forgot this whole section. I was about to skip a whole section of this. Um, uh, they were from the United States of Space. Very importantly. Very importantly from the United States of Space. Uh, an inter- interspatial conglomerate, um, a union of planets uh, that, that oversaw the running of the galaxy. Uh, mm-hmm. And recently, uh, a planet called Flomatron 8 uh, yeah. started a process called Flexit. Uh, now, that process has actually, since we last recorded, uh, ended, uh, but it's not really ended. But they've sort mm-hmm. of they keep on saying it's ended, but it's very much not yeah, yeah. ended. like it's very clearly not ended. But everyone's celebrating like it has ended, but it's very much not ended. Um, but yeah, they so they've started the process of Flexit to leave uh, the, the United States of space. Uh, and they did that, of course, by uh, uh, voting uh, to leave. Uh, and they voted mm. by all of them getting in a circle. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they either they wanted to vote to either uh, leave the United States space or remain in the United States space. Yes. Uh, and mm-hmm. they did that by either saying bounce or bing. Of course, this is how referenda are held in the, the planet of uh, Flamatron 8. Um, they either say bounce or bing. Uh, bounce to mean leave, bing to mean mm-hmm. remain, of course. Uh, and yeah. so they all got together and they said bounce. And so they bounced. And they officially announced this mm-hmm. by triggering Article oh, 66? Art- 66, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think triggering Article 66. Uh, and the small boy, bitch boy leader, uh, Travid Tramman, made an official announcement. Uh, he, he, yep, he got up and said, he, he said, we out bitches uh, and yep. flexed his guns. Good. And that uh, triggered Article 66, starting the process of flexing. So, of course, these aliens, they were all explaining that to you. And then they said, so we're looking for planets to replace Flomatron 8 in the United States of space. And we're looking to see if Earth can prove its worth. Uh, And so 
you explained this all to me. Yeah. And then you said it to them like, oh, hey, he doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. So they threw me a pin, Mm -hmm. a little pin. And I very boldly stabbed that straight into my ear. Uh, And it was actually turned out to be a translation chip. I was actually just uh, just trying to, you know, hurt myself. But um, it turned out to be a translation chip. um, And I was suddenly able to understand Swahili. And so from there, we sort of looked at each other and we immediately knew what we had to do. We had to show to them our greatest human. Mm hmm. And uh, we said, we're going to show you our human. And they said, oh, fantastic. Who's that? We looked at each other in the eyes. We stared. I, I sort of leaned in for a kiss. You pulled away. I was like, oh, no, that's not what we're doing. Um, and then we both said at the same time, Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's the uh, the second or third time I very clearly set up for you to say it at the same oh, time sorry, as well. Oh, sorry, sorry. Try again, try again, try again, try again. No, 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 no. It, it'll happen naturally one time. Um, and uh, so we both said Tom Hanks. Uh, and they said, oh, great, cool. Um, let's, like, what is it? We, what's he doing? So well, he's an actor. And they said, great. So we sit down and watch some of his movies. And we said, we were having a quick skim through his IMDb. And we're like, oh, some of these look like they're kind of shit. Um, give us a hot sec. What we're going to do, mm-hmm. we're going to go away. We're going to call it a podcast. Don't worry, we'll explain what a podcast is, whatever. We're yeah, going to yeah. chronologically watch every single one of Tom mm-hmm. Hanks's projects. And we're going to whittle them down. We're not going to show you all the shit ones. We're going to show you just the primo top quality Hanks works. Ooh. And we're going to put the, all of those works into the Hanks bank. Hanks bank. <laughs> I've been waiting for that. I've been waiting to get it right. I got it right. There we go. Um, uh, all of the uh, collection of Tom Hanks works uh, that we're going to present to the aliens to prove our worth to them to join the United States of space. And then just before we left, they said, by the way, if you don't win, uh, if we don't prove your worth, uh, we're going to blow the whole planet up. Uh, and then they kicked us the fuck off the, uh, the spaceship. So that's that's more or less what we do here. I feel like I remembered almost. Thank you very much. I'm just pretty proud of that for not having done it for about four months. I may have that was impressive. A, I may have forgotten a detail here or there. But, uh, you know, this happened in uh, October 2018. You, How could you possibly uh, you, expect me to remember all of it? You, you forgot one important thing, of course, that yeah. uh, Tom Hanks is the reincarnation oh, of uh, Warren G. Huddings' ghost. But uh, other than that, you did really well. Uh, yeah. well done. Other than that, other than that. So, of course, yes, that's what we're doing here. We're chronologically reviewing Tom Hanks' entire MDB to decide what goes in mm-hmm. the Hanks bank, the things we're going to show to the aliens to prove our worth to them. Uh, I could say that every week, but that would be boring. Um, yeah. So Ooh. we've had a little break from chronologically reviewing Tom Hanks' entire IMDB. Uh, God, it's been so long, I can't even say that coherently yet. Um, mm. uh, and we've done our minisodes, and we're returning. And what are we doing this week, Al? Um... Uh, uh, wait, wait, I got it, 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 Yes, I really do hope you have it, because because if you haven't watched it, then we're going to be in trouble. I've definitely watched it, wink. Okay, so, of course, before, God, that's, we are now looking at 23 minutes into this podcast, and we haven't even got into historical or show context. I might not have been lying when I said this is going to be a four-hour podcast. So... Uh, of course, before we uh, review uh, the film each week, we do our historical context and we do our show context. Uh, it's been we normally flip flop between these, but it's been bloody ages and neither of us could remember uh, whose is whose. So uh, I'm doing historical context this week, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm not doing I am not doing historical context this week because this what? week we have a special guest writer of our historical what? context. Um, what? I know. I thought I'd take advantage of my. Uh, <laughs> dear girlfriend's goodwill 
um, and her being here in London, uh, she has she is a much smarter uh, woman than I am, and so I'm taking mm-hmm. advantage of her both her research skills uh, and her intelligence. And she has written historical context this week. Uh, I have not even looked at this yet, uh, so I am reading this for the first time. Blind. Just the same okay. that you are hearing it for the first time. Um, Can so I this- confirm? Yep. You outsourced your work yes. to your girlfriend <laughs> yes, for free labour. Right, cool. yes. yes, that's exactly what's happened. Um, and and she is in the room right now uh, reading a book, mm-hmm. but uh, very much side-eyeing me as I'm about to read oh, yeah. uh, her historical context. So, you know, this might be our first live breakup on the podcast. Who knows? Let's oh, find man. out. Um, so this film came out in uh, 2002. Uh, but we have two films mm. coming out in 2002. He has Road to Perdition and then Catch Me If You Can, our uh, episode oh. next week. So uh, well, yeah. we are doing uh, the, fir- as always, I'm doing the first half of 2002, January sure. to June. Uh, so in the new year, uh, the euro is introduced across the eurozone. Uh, I do have a helpful note here in brackets, uh, which is except from in the UK, obviously, uh, just in case I'd apparently forgotten that the euro has not been introduced in the UK. So thank you very much for that little note. Uh, on February 6th, the Queen celebrates her golden jubilee. Uh, Jamie's girlfriend, Ellen, turns up to her brownies jubilee queen and princesses party dressed as Snow White, as do a dozen other girls. I, uh, did, not, did you, did not you a brownies dress- one, not the brownies <laughs> one. Yeah, not, not dressed as Snow White and definitely not to a brownies one. But I definitely remember going to, we're beginning to enter kind of the realm of history, which I remember. And I remember as a kid, I was in Jersey at the time, small island, a small island in the Channel Islands. And uh, we had a Golden Jubilee party. I had to learn God Save the Queen for the first time. I refused to sing it on Moral Principle, even at that age. And, uh, yeah, we had a big, like, kind of, you know, what do you call it? Street party type thing? But in a field somewhere, because it was a small island. Nice. Uh, Did you also remember uh, having a lot of fun climbing trees with her best friend Justine that day? Shit, yeah. (laughs) This is kind of suspicious. Uh, Yeah, so... um, that, that's that's what happened on February 6th in Ellen's life. Um, the Winter Olympics are held in 2002 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, the 2002 Ooh, Games were the first Winter Olympics held after formation of the World Anti-Doping Agency. As a result, there were a large number of athletes disqualified following the new testing. Ooh. Shit, also, um, Mitt Romney. Oh, is he also from that, Salt Lake City? No, he ran the, the Olympics. Oh, he ran the Olympics. Like, I thought you were yeah. about to say he ran in the Olympics. I was like, what the fuck? No. <laughs> um, ah, interesting. Um, uh, April 9th of 2002, there is the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, which takes place at uh, the Westminster Abbey in London. Uh, the Queen Mother spent much of her childhood at Glamis Castle near Dundee. Uh, Jamie's mm. girlfriend went there on uh, her primary three school trip. I'm starting to see a theme of this historical context. Interesting. Um, in May of t- uh, 2002, the Las Ketchup dance craze peaks in Spain, uh, according to Google searches, apparently. Uh, but it doesn't catch on elsewhere properly until the end of the year. It was the first single Jamie's girlfriend, Ellen, ever owned, having received it in her Christmas stocking. Do you have any clue what the Las Ketchup uh, dance craze is? Here's, here's the thing. I think I had the single for it as well. And I think if uh, someone were to sing a little bit of it for us, that would be great. Well, um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, looking, I'm I'm looking over. Um, w- would would my dear girlfriend standing up there be able to sing the last catch-up song for us? She, she, she can say no. No, 
Okay, there you go. No, um, but I am told it's this dance here. I'm doing it for you, Al. It's oh, where people is it talk. The, I sing it. Yes, it's that one. <laughs> yes, it's that one. What's that got to do with ketchup? All right, Jamie, you speak Spanish. Figure this out for next week. All right. Well, well, I'm going to tell you that the last ketchup means the ketchup, um, and in fact, the the fact that. Yeah, but there you go. I did know what that was. Hey, exciting. Um, yeah. May 6th, uh, Elon Musk founds... Uh, well, it, I believe what should be written here is founds. Uh, what has been written is finds SpaceX. So I'm very excited for Elon Musk just burrowing through the forest and finding a wholly grown SpaceX. Um, Jamie's girlfriend, Ellen. Ellen... <laughs> Jamie's girlfriend Ellen's name sounds a little like Elon, but she is much nicer than Elon Musk. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, yeah, there's much of a theme going on here. May 15th, uh, Jamie's girlfriend Ellen turns six. She has her sixth birthday party at Coco at Clown Soft Play area in Dundee. Her whole that class is invited, even the boys. Um. Well played. Moving on to uh, <laughs> yep. um, May 31st to June 30th, uh, the 2002 FIFA World Cup in South Korea and Japan uh, is held, which is ultimately won by Brazil. Uh, Jamie's girlfriend likes collecting panini stickers around the World Cup, though she has no personal investment in football otherwise. Do, do you? Did you ever? You you know what panini stickers aren't you? Are don't you? Are they like Yu-Gi-Oh cards? But sort of, but you remember the, the big the sticker books that you would get, and you would collect them for each team, and then you stick them in the book, and then you tried to collect the whole, the whole, every player at the World Cup. I understand conceptually. <laughs> Is that? Do you genuinely? Was that never a thing for you? Those things are um, huge. Not only for me, I I was more into kind of uh, like I said, Pokemon cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards. There was a while where there were like Harry Potter cards. I collected those too. Um, but no, not really football stickers. I don't really trust a sticker that's named after from bread. You know, I think that's just dumb. Um, okay, uh, so I'm going to read the next one. Uh, and, I, and I very much want to say, I am reading what my girlfriend has written. Sure. <laughs> Verbatim. I am not. Okay. There is no There's no editorialising. No. Sure. Okay. June 6th, an object mm-hmm. with an estimated diameter of 10 metres, almost as big as Jamie's girlfriend's ass, is detonated <laughs> over the Mediterranean. Open brackets. I don't know how to spell it. Two English degrees, and I don't know how to spell it. C. Had it col- oh, right. again. No, no, no. She knows how to spell arse. It's the word Mediterranean. She can't spell you. Fuck. Okay. Um, had it collided with Earth at the same latitude just a few hours earlier, it would have triggered a huge light flash and shockwave over India and Pakistan, which probably would have triggered a nuclear war because at that time India and Pakistan were having a big fight over Kashmir. And each would have assumed it was a provocation from the other side. Well, so isn't crap. That yeah, we were we were a few hours from nuclear war in June sixth, two thousand and two. Oh, always great. That's my favourite. <laughs> and finally, apparently, BuzzFeed lists just Rapunzel Barbie as an event that happened that year. So throw that in if you have time to fill. Uh, I did not have Barbie. time. Oh man. Yeah. I did not have time to fill. We are half an hour into this podcast already, but hey-ho, we filled it in anyway. Uh, I would like to give a, a, a little clap to, to my lovely girlfriend. That was a very fantastic, probably the best historical context we've ever had. Uh, so thank um, you very much. You've got to ask Ellen for me uh, yep. if she prefers uh, Rapunzel Barbie, the movie, uh, Sleeping Beauty. That uh, was a Sleeping Beauty. There's the Barbie and the Swan Princess. Uh, which of the two she prefers? Okay. 
Um, which do you prefer, Rapunzel, Barbie, or was it White Barbie and the White Swan Princess? Swan Princess. Swan I, th- Princess? I think it's Barbie and the Swan Princess. Barbie and the Swan Princess. Which do you prefer? Or Barbie and the Nutcracker? Oh my god. Okay, if anyone didn't hear, she said she's not up to date on her Barbie lore, but Swan Princess is pretty fucking good. All right, Um, decent. This is a family (coughs) podcast, Ellen. If you could try not to swear, that's really rude. (laughs) Anyway, uh, (laughs) um, that's my historical context. Uh, Mm -hmm. What what have you got for me? What can you tell me about this lovely film, Road to Perdition? Okay, first of all, I want to uh, just check in with uh, my Canadian correspondent, uh, Alyssa Music. And uh, just ask her, uh, you know, after you know three months of unemployment, um, where she is and listening to the podcast. Uh, and so what <laughs> podcast is the most recent one you've listened to? Toy Story 2. Do you know what number that is? Uh, like 37. Yeah, so she's listened to Toy Story 2. So I think currently <laughs> she's still like 13 behind. Yeah, she's Which, still... You know, so I've just given the context for 2002. Uh, Alyssa really only knows what happened right up until about 1995 right now. Oh, yeah. So she's six years behind, um, seven years behind, uh, which is unsurprising. Yeah, so, Rota Position, directed by Sam Mendes, starring Tom Hanks, Jude Law, oh my god, there are so many big actors in this, Paul Newman, it's yeah. also starring, of course, Daniel Craig, uh, as well as Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name, oh, and uh, Stanley Tucci, so of course, starring Tucci, a broad yeah. range. Yeah. of uh, crazy uh, successful stars. Um, this was uh, Sam Mendes' follow-up to American Beauty, for which uh, they won the Academy Awards. Um, it is based on a graphic novel, so it's also Tom Hanks's first, and I think maybe only comic book movie, uh, which in turn is based on a Japanese manga called The Wolf and the Cub. Uh, this was like a wildly successful Japanese manga. It, I think effectively the comic book follows the manga, like, not to say beat for beat, but like story-wise, is the manga is about a uh, a man who is an executioner for a shogun, um, whose family who I think he kind of um, ends up having to become assassin and taking his three-year-old son around. Um, so you know, pretty pretty similar plot points. Oh yeah, um, should we should we give a very quick plot summary uh, before we sure. uh, get into any more? So basically, sure. this is about uh, Tom Hanks uh, as an enforcer for an Irish mob in the twenties uh, during the Depression. Um, and early on in the film, uh, he, uh, he is, his son is witness to a hit. Uh, and in mm. retaliation to that, the mob boss's son, played by Daniel Craig, uh, tries to murder him and his entire family, ends up only killing his wife and his other son. Uh, and so the film follows uh, Tom Hanks's revenge story. Uh, and Jude Law plays uh, the assassin that is hired to uh, try and kill Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously very interesting uh, basically what happened was uh, around the time that Spielberg was setting up uh, DreamWorks uh, alongside I think Jeffrey Katzenberg who formerly had worked at Disney um, this kind of manga had been sent to him he was looking at it thinking okay this seems kind of cool but uh, decided not to make it himself he had a really full slate of films at the time yeah um, whereas Mendes, after American Beauty, was looking at a couple of things. Apparently, he was almost going to be uh, director for Beautiful Mind, which I think also ended up winning the Oscar. I think that was directed by another one of, uh, actually, Hank's directors, uh, Ron Howard. Um, they kind of pick up the writing. Uh, sorry, he kind of picked it up. Um, I think it kind of was interesting to him for a couple of things. Uh, one, mainly for its kind of uh, visual sense. The film is quite light on dialogue all the way through, and instead yeah. Mendes wanted to tell this story in a, in a largely a kind of uh, visual way so kind of creating what he does create quite a complex uh narrative through a fairly simplistic um 
imagery, not imagery, but the, the linguistically simplistic, but deep in terms of imagery. Um, actually, interestingly, the cinematographer and Tom Hanks both requested that uh, Mendes not make the film very gratuitous, which I think it, it it's true. I, I think the only bit which in which you kind of see a lot of gore is uh, probably in the f- the final two murders of the film are. Yeah. somewhat gory but the rest of the film although there is quite a lot of murder it is never particularly gratuitous and often we don't actually see the people who die um stanley tucci who's italian american uh, actually for a long time had refused to be in gangster movies because he felt they depicted italian americans uh, as gangsters um but he was really interested in the role and he wanted to work with mendez after american beauty because he liked the director and stanley tucci um, i believe in this uh, plays like an underling to al capone uh basically um so he's he's playing like yeah. Although not a not Al Capone himself, and therefore not uh, a particularly famous man, someone who's very connected to a very famous Italian yeah. American. And I believe he, the character he plays, I think, is a real life mobster. So um, oh, really? his okay. character's name was yeah Frank Nisi, and Frank Nisi was an actual uh, Italian American gangster. Oh, okay, uh, he was cool. kind of one of Al Capone's henchmen. Uh, you've mentioned Al Capone. Obviously, if you've seen films like The Untouchables, if you know anything about kind of history in this part uh the film is set in chicago capone runs chicago at this er- uh, period he literally runs almost everything you know if you the untouchables is a really good film if you own should more capone uh but here he's more of an unseen presence uh they did yeah. shoot a scene um to have capone in it it is on these special features like it's on a del- deleted scene it isn't in the main movie because they thought it would be better if uh you know he was this unseen kind of menacing presence in the background which i, I think works pretty well yeah i'd agree with that um, I'm just trying to think what else. Uh, so Paul Newman um, isn't doesn't actually sound. He has a very good accent. In this he, he kind of he's playing this kind of Irish American gangster, um, and he gets uh, Frank McCourt, who's the author of Angela's Ashes, to record a tape of his voice. So, uh, which happens you know semi often I think when people are doing accents, they often get people with that accent to record um, saying a bunch of different words so that they can learn to kind of do the accent together. Uh, in terms of, I think that's the main thing. Uh, the case in this goes on to be Superman yes, in the Arrowverse uh, TV kind of series, um, which is uh, kind of crazy to me. Um, they kind of uh, made Jude Law look very ugly by kind of giving him things like receding gum lines and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, and they also yeah. stick him in a, a receding wig, uh, like a, yes. a, he's they clearly stuck him in a bald cap and then stuck a receding hairline wig on him uh, because yeah. he's he's supposed to be playing like a. Uh, like psych- not yeah. quite psycho, right. but like qu- clearly a bit of a like disturbed bloke. He plays a um, person who is both an yeah, assassin and then also uh, his uh, career or and his cover is that he takes photos of the crime scenes. So he both kills people and then takes photos of them and gets paid to do it by the police. Um, I feel like <laughs> a very similar sort. Like I got very similar vibes to like Nightcrawler. If anyone has seen that. Um, so basically, they saw Jude mm, yeah, Law and yeah. thought, "You're great for this role, but you are way too fucking handsome. Let's make you look ugly and creepy." Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. Um, the rest of the stuff are just kind of like fun production facts, which I'll kind of um, fit in as we go through the story. Cool. Um, yeah, the, that's the kind of general overview. So the only other thing yeah, I found interesting of... is, uh, is obviously that this is Daniel Craig relatively early in his career. It's four years before he gets Bond, uh, but obviously yeah. he's being directed by Sam Mendes, who will a decade later come back round to direct him as Bond in Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I yeah. just found interesting, uh, but yeah, yeah definitely. very. Thank you very much for that. So, should we should we dive into this uh, this plot? Sure. Uh, the film begins uh, as all good films do, uh, looking at a young boy who is in turn looking at the sea. 
uh, we hear a kind of narration talk over about how in the uh, summer of, I think, 1931, sorry, the winter of 1931, uh, for six weeks, um, this boy went on the run with his father, uh, Michael Sullivan. Uh, well, at, at that people... point, to be fair, we don't know that it's his father. It, father, it just no, says, just... people ask me about whether Michael Sullivan was, was a good man. Well, good... I spent six weeks with him on the road. Um, yeah. And then it sort at of fades, point... fades out. Yeah. At that point, we cut back to um, here earlier. So, again, probably about six weeks ago from this point in the narrative. Um, we see the kind of wee kids, Michael Sullivan Jr., as we later find out. Um, I believe at first he's kind of out there. He's a newsie. He's got the wee cap. He's selling newspapers. He rides his bike back home. He sees his mum. He's trying to work on his math homework. But guess what, guys? He hates math because he's not a nerd. That's right. But you know who is a nerd? His little brother, the dweeb. All right. <laughs> what a weirdo. His mum seems to like his little brother a bit better. Obviously loves him too. But it's a complicated relationship. Um, the mum sends him off uh, upstairs to go grab his dad to come down for dinner uh this is the point where i kind of uh, you, you kind of forget about this i realize that uh family relationships in the 1930s are very different from family relationships now yeah where the child goes upstairs to get his dad stands in the hallway looks down and uh his dad is kind of taking off his stuff he has a rosary he has like a pocketbook or something he has a gun and this son <laughs> is afraid of his dad he's genuinely afraid of his dad he kind of loves him, but he's not a really a paternal figure in the way which we would see paternal figures being today. Uh, and so this, kind of... this father figure is, of course, Tom Hanks. Yeah, the father figure with, is Tom with Hanks. With a moustache. Uh, as we can see in a second. With a moustache in the beginning of the film, it's it's a, ooh, a hideous moustache. Um, yes. <laughs> but yeah, he's kind of very detached. Um, he doesn't really want to talk to his son, and we don't know why at this point. He goes downstairs. Um, he... Uh, you know, I think they have uh, dinner together. Everyone kind of remains a bit detached, and it's mentioned that they're going to be going to a wake. Yep. Guys, what's the best kind of wake? An Irish wake. That's right. <laughs> There's booze at this wake. What's a better way to celebrate someone's death than drinking? Uh, when I die, please, everyone get very, very drunk. I would appreciate that very sincerely. Um, so they go to the wake. Uh, Tom Hanks, uh, so Michael Sullivan and Michael Sullivan Jr. kind of pray in front of the casket. The younger son is too afraid. We're kind of, we're kind of seeing here that the younger son is um, a little bit more delicate. He's a sweet boy. He's nice. He's intelligent. Um, the older Sullivan kind of lacks those qualities and I think is a little bit jealous of those things. Uh, the casket is underneath it. Um, there's kind of like a bed of ice to keep the body preserved. And this is where we kind of start to see the the, the recurring motif of water yep. throughout the film. So all the way through the film, there's just kind of water present all the time uh, being associated with especially, death. Especially, yeah, especially uh, around the, death, as I was going to say. Yeah. Um, the, Michael Sullivan Jr. asks his dad, you know, well, not asks his dad, he kind of looks at the water and his dad says, look, it's to preserve the body. They go out. Uh, Tom Hanks says, you know, as a right and proper dad, as, as uh, told his kids beforehand that there would be no dice playing whatsoever uh, at this uh, funeral. And um, very quickly, the boys uh, find the dad's boss, who's, who, you know, at this point seems a bit like a grandfatherly figure. Yeah, played by, uh, uh, Paul, played Newman. by Paul Newman. Uh, his name is yep. Rooney. Um, uh, I believe this is based on a real live mobster, but they changed it from, I think it was something like, um, uh, let me look this up. It was, they changed the name something from, like. <sighs> wow. Yeah, so why are you looking that up? So basically, yeah, this is Paper Paul Newman. 
um and he's uh the the clearly the the grandfather sort of figure in this uh place but not actually uh father clearly a father figure to tom hanks and a grandfather figure to the kids mm-hmm. but while not being biologically related so you sort of get yeah. the idea you if you what well, if you knew anything about the film you knew this about mob people but if you didn't you're getting the idea oh maybe this is like a crime family you're not really sure but it's kind of a bit weird um but yeah so who's the who's the real person uh john looney which is a great name. It makes it name. It makes him sound insane. But yeah, they changed it for the film. Um, he didn't die in this kind of way at all. So it, it makes sense why they were kind of changed the name. I think in the comic yeah, they, they they really they really hid his uh, hid his identity from John Looney to John Rooney. God, how yeah, would anyone ever could... figured it out? I feel that no one could take a uh, gangster called uh, John Looney very seriously. He does sound more like a comic book character when uh, that's yeah. the case. Uh, so Mr. Looney Rooney uh, takes the kids uh, to to a little um, basement area in the church and starts playing dice mm-hmm. with them. Um, and yeah, you get this. Uh, John Rooney has hosted the... Um, uh, the wake he gives a, a talk saying like I didn't know him very well but like we look after our own etc uh, and then mm-hmm. the guy's brother comes up and gives a talk he's clearly a little bit more more scared but um and and more also sad. drunk and drunk yeah and um uh, but yeah he gives a, he gives a speech um and then after the the wake um we've we've oh, sort well, no, of, so, oh so at so, so kind of through this the kind of the two other things are we've um, seen John Looney's son Connor. Uh, Connor's a bit of a creep. At some point, when they're playing dice, uh, John says, "Oh, go and get um, my jacket. I'll, you've won. I'll, I'll pay you whatever the dollar or something." Uh, the younger son goes up to go get the jacket, but Connor's there. And from the beginning, Connor is creepy. Connor is scary. The kid doesn't know exactly why, but he's scary. Yes, uh, this is later, uh, when... Daniel Craig, um, who is Connor. Yeah. Who did? I bless Daniel Craig. Um, looks exactly the same now as he did then. Which, hmm. bless him, is both a compliment to him now and also an insult to him then. The man has looked 40 since he was 15. Um, I, and yeah. and also, I don't know, he, so he's doing an American accent. I found it really weird. It it, it's it's not a great American accent, but it's no. also, I couldn't recognise his voice at all. Like, oh, I don't know if it's just because he's younger or like or he plays a deeper voice in, in the James Bonds or whatever. But like, there was something really disconcerting and seeing that someone that I recognised, because again, he looks exactly the same then as he did now, but hearing a completely different voice come out of him. And it's not just the accent. It's just like genuinely the voice sounded mm. different to me. It was odd. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Craig has an interesting history with accents. I believe in uh, Munich, the Spielberg film, I think he has a South African accent. Um but I can't remember exactly. But obviously, uh, more recently, at least in some of his American movies, uh, when he did Logan Lucky, when he does a ridiculous Southern accent, and uh, Knives Out, when he does a ridiculous Southern accent, I'm not sure how talented he is as a uh, accent actor. You know, he's great in his own accent. Uh, to be fair, and those are the ones he's doing, playing it for comic, comedic effects. I'm not sure he could do it if he tried. We'll find yeah. out. That's not a slag um, off, Daniel Craig. <laughs> I know you could beat me up. Anyway, so uh, yeah, Jude, Jude Law's accent scary. in this film is much much better. Yeah, well, and Jew Law is normally bad at accents, so I was surprised at that. Yeah. Um, but uh, at this point, yeah, so he goes up, the kind of brother's giving the speech, blah, 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 blah. The brother's drunk, he's clearly looking to pick a fight, and Tom Hanks is kind of looking at him slightly edgily. Um, the brother kind of says, look, he's getting a bit angry, he's, he's looking to pick stuff up. In front of everyone, he goes, uh, you know, Mr. Rooney, you're like, I've realised, come to realise, like, to this town, you're like God. 
Um, do you choose who lives and you choose who dies or something to that effect and at that point Connor and Tom Hanks go up and they grab him and they take him outside right like that's the end of the speech he, he's gonna he's put in a car and uh, the the kind of mob boss stand John Rooney says look go go have a talk with him don't kill him but have a talk with him all right he can't be going around saying this kind of stuff we need to make sure we keep him on our side that's all fine. They go back to the funeral. Um, people are dancing. They're having a good time. It's an Irish wake, so everyone's drinking. Uh, at this point, Tom Hanks and uh, Paul Newman have a piano duet. This is a real piano duet. They did learn how to play this by themselves. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, which is very cool. Uh, it kind of and it sets up without saying it, and I think a lot of the film does this. It kind of it sets up this sort of theme of fathers and sons and surrogate fathers and surrogate sons. And we kind of see the dynamic everywhere, right? Like at this point in the film, the closest relationship um, these two men have, to- the uh, Michael, o- Michael Sullivan and um, John Rooney are with each other. He's the son really that uh, Rooney never had. He's the father uh, that Sullivan never had. And we kind of see the other two actual sons sitting off in the corner watching this. And they both are reacting kind of interestingly to the duets it's uh, very much kind of they are both on the outside while these two men are on the inside um, not biological father and son but definitely that in terms of relationship they go back it's the next day at school at night time um, Michael Sullivan Jr. is reading one of the Hardy Boys mysteries I think or, or reading a kind of pulp mystery b- b- novel starring um, I think it's the Lone Ranger or, or a kind of um, like a white knight sheriff kind of thing the younger brother says what does Dan do Michael says, uh, Dad does missions for Mr. Rooney. He does missions to the president, actually. And the brother's like, I don't believe it. Um, but, it, you know, and it kind of sets into motion, I think, in the kids' minds. They want to know what their dad does. The next morning yeah. at breakfast, uh, the youngest kid asks um, his dad what does... I think either, either Michael, the younger son, uh, asks what the dad does. The mum's like, he puts food on your table. And <laughs> let's be just real here. Uh, if you can't explain your job uh, to your children... Uh, that's maybe deeply suspicious, you know. Well, if you're well, like, yeah, but but also, what do you want? What do you want them to do? He's a he's a mob lie. guy. Just <laughs> lie. He's a, he's a teacher. Um, yeah, uh, he's a salesman for Mr. Rooney. Like that's that's fine too. Um, yeah. So the dad can't go to the recital of one of the younger kids. It gives him a hug, um, and he goes off to work. But wait um, a second. Yeah, the, the someone's kid coming with him. Yeah, there's someone's coming with him. Him and um, Daniel Craig go off, uh, and they're interrogating um, the. I can't remember. Is it the same bloke from the wake? Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, bloke it's from the same. The same bloke so from the wake. Um, it, it's so, at this point we kind of find out that uh, I believe his brother had been killed on the orders of um, Rooney. Of Rooney, the dad, um, because he was accused of uh, taking kind of a cut. His brother, the kind of the one we see, the one who gave the speech to the funeral, says, "Look, my brother never gave a cut. You can look at the books. Like, where would the money be if he was stealing from you guys? I don't have the money." Um, to which Connor's like, "Just shut up. Continue to do your job, and like, just stay out of it." And he's like, "Look, I'm gonna. I'm not dumb. I'm not gonna try and get killed, but I am gonna find out who did this one day, and I think it's you, Connor." At this point, he directly accuses Connor of stealing from his father, of the um, bootlegging business that they're kind of uh, they're running. During yeah. Prohibition, these guys uh, this, are... 
this whole section is shot uh, like through the legs of Tom Hanks. We're getting the the POV of the kid who has snuck in and is watching yeah. this. Uh, and yeah. so all we're seeing is like the only shots we see of this is through the legs of Tom Hanks, which is quite a cool shot. Yeah. Uh, and so Connor shoots him. Uh, oh yeah, blows prompt- him right in the side of the head. Yep, uh, prompting Tom Hanks to have to Tommy gun everyone else. Uh, and then they're like, what the fuck was that? And he's like, oh, he was, he was, he was going to talk, like whatever. Um, and then they spot the kid. I'm like, who the fuck's that? Kid runs out um, into the rain. They follow him out. Tom Hanks finds him and it's like, oh, right, what the hell? Uh, and mm. then they get we get a nice little uh, dialogue, which I really like the subtext of, where uh, Daniel Craig goes, um, well, they, Tom Hanks goes, it was just a kid. Uh, Daniel Craig goes, something to the effect of, well, can he keep his mouth shut? Subtext, mm. can I kill him? Um, Tom Hanks then says, he's my son subtext no you fucking cannot um uh and so um daniel craig goes like cool that's good enough for me takes him away yeah um and he says it's also important going to talk it it, it's also i think important at this point to kind of set up like this is a time where you would think in a movie be completely justified if tom hacks character like went off on his son right like he snuck along he shouldn't have done that it's the 1930s he could probably get away with like spanking or hitting this kid he doesn't do any of that he focuses on like are you okay were you hit um you need to never tell anyone about this but he's he's not at this point a bad father clearly and, and we kind of this is that dichotomy which is set up i think someone described it as um which I think Mendes has described as he's a kind of guy who for maybe hangs for the whole of his life has lived this dichotomy where he's been able to be a decent father and a good husband and this awful, violent murderer person. And he kind of li- has lied to himself every day up until now that these two things don't have to meet and he doesn't have to be a bad person or he isn't a bad person as long as if he's a good person at home. And those they're kind of separate entities where on this day, that is over. Like his personal life and his work life had intersected. His child has seen him murder people and that is traumatizing everything. They go back home, he drops him off, he tells his wife, because his son starts acting out, that uh, his son ran along, um, it came along alongside him, and that's because his son starts being a bit of a dick, refuses to put his plate in the sink. I don't know why, because he's a bit of a knob. <laughs> um, outside is the next morning, Mr. Rooney has showed up, uh, the guy who played Dice with earlier, the kind of mob boss, um, and he kind of, again, largely through subtext, is like, you know, a man of honour keeps his word, gives him a silver dollar, the kid goes off to school. He says to the kid, you shut the fuck up. I know what you did and you know I can murder people. Yeah, I think um, the night before, just as they get back into the house, uh, Tom Hanks and the child have a conversation where uh, the child says, does mum know? And Tom Hanks, and it's uh, it's a really good bit of dialogue I like where Tom Hanks says, your mum knows that Mr. Rooney gave me a job when um, I didn't have one and he put a house overhead and he put food on our table and your mum knows that. Which I quite like because all the way through, we I think the wife suspects that her husband is a is a gangster. Like she probably knows outright, but it's never specifically articulated. No. Um. um so then, uh, the kid goes to school, we, gets yeah, in a fight at school. school. Yes, he's he's uh, he's he's being a classic kid who's going through some trauma, so he's acting out. Um, and yeah. we see on the other side, Tom Hanks has gone to a meeting, um, with yeah. all the mob bosses. Uh, they tried to get Daniel Craig to apologise. He's being pissy. He's like, oh, I would like to apologise. And then Rooney's like, sorry, what the fuck did you just say, little bitch? He's yeah. like, 
I apologize. Um, uh, and it's clear that, yeah, this this kid, this isn't the first time that Daniel Craig has like acted outside of what he was ordered to no. do. He's a pressy little bitch. Um, yeah, they have, he makes they, a joke about it. It's kind of terrible. Yeah. Uh, and so then they just do general mob bossery business. Uh, there's mm-hmm. someone who ha- owes his debts. Uh, and Tom Hanks is like, cool. Uh, Tom Hanks is not sat at the table. He's very much an enforcer. He no. is not part of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. he's like, cool, just send me wherever you need to send me. Uh, Tom Hanks then goes and uh, he uh, pulls up later that day, pulls up outside the house. And Daniel Craig comes, gives him a note, says, go give this to the bloke um, at the strip club or whatever it is. He goes over to the strip yeah. club. Uh, he he's, he's clearly an experienced guy. So he pulls up um, and is sort of trying to be intimidating to the bouncer. The bouncer is like, oh, hey, uh, hello. Uh, yeah, okay. And then Tom Hanks is like, do you want to frisk me? And then he's like, should I? And he's like, yeah, you probably should. And then has him frisk him, takes one gun out, and then he goes, that's the only one. Tom Hanks is clearly the man in control where he's done this loads of times. Um, yeah. he, he goes through the club. The bouncer is mm. like trying to finagle a job with Rooney. Uh, and he's like, yeah. yeah. He's gonna, clearly Rooney is like a well-known guy, right? Mm. Like this is the list we get of it. I think in the, by the sounds of it in the comic, uh, it's much more explicit. Like in the comic, his character is known as the angel of death. They sort of downplay that here, but he is known as being this kind of, he is known as being a man to fear and a man to respect. Yeah. And that's very different from how we've seen him at home. He yeah. kind of makes it way through uh, the strip club. Apparently it's lit to look like the seven circles of hell. I didn't notice that, but that's cute. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, um, they're going kind to of get into the boss's office and the boss allegedly owes a debt to uh, Rooney. Yep. He, uh, so Michael has been told. Yeah, uh, Michael hides, gives him a letter. Hides, well, he hides a gun underneath a book on the table. Um, yeah, the, the the guy who owns the club. He yeah, Michael hands him a letter. He's high. Yeah, and then they're they're eyeing each other up. They're looking at the gun, mm. um, and then Michael quickly sprints, grabs the gun as the other guy reaches for it, shoots him, shoots the um, the bouncer. He checks the letter yeah. and it says, "Kill Sullivan and all your debts are paid." Uh, <clears throat> and I tell you what, I wasn't. I would, not that I wasn't engaged, but I definitely wasn't at hugely engaged in this film oh, up until yeah. this point. And then when that came up, both me and Ellen were like, yeah. oh, shit. Uh, that was yeah, a yeah, real yeah. big, this like, is... that's a really cool twist early on. Yeah, it's definitely the point in the film where it starts kicking into gear, where, you know, it set up all these characters, set up the relationships, and then it's like, all right, now here's plots. Yeah. Um, at this point, he is then terrified. I think he's then. I think he says his wife's name or something along those lines. He gets heads the fuck out back home. Right? He's traveling yeah. as fast as he can to get back home. Um, at the same time, uh, there are a couple things happening. Yeah, uh, Daniel Craig's character is uh, has kind of gone into uh, Hanks's home. He's gone upstairs. He goes into the bathroom. He sees uh, Hanks's wife. Jennifer Jason Lee, he sees Hanks's child, but because he doesn't, and they set this up early and they do it really well, he can't really tell the children apart. He shoots them both, kills them both. But this is the and other then, younger brother because it's been set. Yeah. yeah. Because the other son has been in detention, right? So it's been set up that yeah. one, he can't tell the two kids apart, and because of the fight, the other kid's been in detention. So the kid, the other kid starts running his bike back. He comes in, he sees the two shots from ahead. Again, like I said earlier, we do, there's not very gratuitous. We do not see them be murdered. We see the shots from outside, largely. Um, uh, he kind of goes up the front door. Actually, Daniel Craig comes up to the front door. Um, and the young kid thinks, oh no, he's seen me. But instead, because Daniel Craig is meant to be kind of vain and um, 
very narcissistic. He's actually just checking out his reflection after taking this balaclava off, which is weird. Young kid flees. Yeah. Daniel Craig leaves, thinks he, thinks he's murdered the guy, thinks that Tom Hanks has been killed. That should be all be, all be fine. He left the youngest son alive, but what's the problem there? Um, he leaves. Tom uh, Hanks. Yeah, Tom the Hanks. The kid goes back. in. Sorry. Yeah, he sees that his son is sitting at the table. He goes upstairs. We hear quietly off screen Tom Hanks scream in anguish at seeing the murdered uh, bodies of his wife and youngest son. Yep. Um, uh, so, Al, we are an yeah. hour into this podcast yeah. and I think three minutes into the plot. So let's try and rush no, no, no. through, from, rush from through the rest of this. Quicker, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is, yeah, this is this is the the two inciting incidents basically. Yeah. Um, the uh, the the kids witnessing witnessing the murder and then the murder of the mm-hmm. wife and child. Um, Tom yeah. Hanks grabs his son, says like, "We don't yeah. live here anymore. This is just an empty house." And then they flee. Um, mm-hmm. This is when uh, Tom Hanks goes and meets Stanley Tucci. Um, no it's not um this is oh. so first this a couple things here i'll do them quickly uh one he goes see to see like a like a conciliary like a kind of intermediary person right he kind of climbs up he leaves his car and there's a great piece of dialogue here but he leaves his kid in the car and he says oh yes yes the yes it's like don't go don't go and he's like no i gotta go here's a gun there's six bullets and the kid's like I, 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 don't go don't go and he's like look if i don't come back in 30 minutes you go to you know first methodist church and you see father michael you do not go see father john Right, you do not go to your father, Don. You go see your father, Michael, which I, I just love as a bit of world building there of like, yeah. you know, which priests are okay to talk to. Um, he goes upstairs. He sees this guy. The guy's like, "Here's twenty five grand. Um, I know you're alive. Look, clearly, this is not John Rooney. This is just Connor. Take the twenty five grand. You have family in uh, Ireland. You've got friends in Ireland. Take twenty five grand. There's more money if you want it. Take your youngest son and go. And he goes, "Well, my youngest son is dead." And the guy goes, "Ah, crap." He goes, look, don't shoot me. I'm just the messenger. And he goes, okay, I have a message for Rooney. Takes out his gun, blows his head out. Yeah. That's kind of set up. And um, there's then the funeral and stuff. That's sort of happening in the background. He then goes to, uh, they then go into Chicago proper to go see uh, Tucci's character because he needs to know basically where he stands and where I think beyond him Al Capone stands on this thing. Yeah. Um, this guy explicitly works for Al Capone. I think uh, Rooney, while in allegiance with the guy because he doesn't want to run against him, is not necessarily in the same gang. Um, he goes up to Tucci, leaves his son downstairs and says, look, I want to work for you, uh, but on the condition that you turn a blind eye to what I need to do. And Tucci says, again, there's a really great dialogue here where he's like, you don't understand that even up until this, even still you being in this office now, you and your son downstairs are both under our protection and you're protected by like the loyalty and the trust that you've built with people, right? Like, I, but if you go and kill this guy you are not going to be protected, protected by anyone. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like, you you will destroy that loyalty, you destroy that trust, we can't protect you, and, you know, realistically, they're going to come for you. And he's like, look, I, I'd love for you to come work for us, but not under these circumstances. And the guy goes, look, I'm, you know, i, I got to do what i got to do. He leaves, Tucci goes next door, and next door is Paul Newman and Daniel Craig. They've been listening to the entire thing. Tucci tries to persuade them to hire a uh, hitman. The hitman's like, uh, they go, oh, I don't really, you know, do we have to? He's like, yeah, well, what would you do if there's anyone else? The guy goes, fine, hitman, but don't kill the younger boy. Yeah, and even though, goes, yeah, teacher goes like, well, a boy eventually becomes a man. Where do you think he's going to go? And then Paul yeah. is like, no, don't kill the fucking kid. Like, yeah. um, there's, there's, and in, in all these sorts of films, you always get, there's always a theme of like, even honour in yeah, crime. Uh, honour amongst then, thieves is the famous thing. Yeah, it? right. Because it, it sets up, 
because it allows you to see amongst all these characters who are evil who's the most evil right yeah who's the pe- who are the people most willing to break those rules the fact that um connor killed a child and killed an innocent wife you know sets up that he's worse in this than his father is yeah. or than, uh, yeah sorry we uh, it, Tom Hanks is. yeah we we should be clear that there is a scene that makes it very clear that this was Daniel Craig's character acting rogue. He didn't. He was not yeah, yeah. acting under the orders of his uh, father. Yeah. There's an argument between him and his father. His father being like, "Why the fuck did you do that?" He was like, "Hey, he was going to talk." Like, but yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah. His, his father, John Rooney, it's, it's, is it's not. Really he's not happy with this decision. Yeah. Apparently, it wasn't originally the script, but it's a scene which they kind of created in rehearsal where, like, the father like starts like he gets the phone call saying, "You know, this guy's dead. John Hanks is coming to kill you all," and um, he. Oh Christ, what is yeah, he hits his son. He starts beating his son up, and then he starts hugging his son. And this is again, we're kind of setting up how different a father he is from Tom Hanks. But Tom Hanks's father is, as a father, is very remote and detached, and he's not articulating his feelings. Where Paul Newman is um, aggressive, and he's, he's pure emotion rather than the kind of reserved uh, beast that Hammond, yeah. Hanks is. Anyway, so um, they're on the run. They're on the run. Uh, they hire. Uh, so they they hire Jude Law. We get ugly ass Jude Law. We're introduced to oh, him. He is. He, uh, we introduce him by him. He is photographing a crime scene. Uh, it turns yeah. out the dude isn't dead yet, and so he gets yeah. everyone to leave the crime scene while he photographs. The dude isn't dead yet, so he covers his mouth. The implication being that he killed this man and then has come back to be the guy to take photos of him. Um, he yeah. takes a call from call from Stanley Tucci, and is like, "Cool, here's my rate. What do you want me to do?" Uh, and it's clear that he tells him to kill the kid. That Stanley Tucci yeah. has gone against John Rooney's uh, orders and told him to kill the kid. Yeah, it's so, also gross because this is uh, very quickly. The line is for his raises like it's sixteen hundred, and I keep the money from the photographs, which kind yeah. of sets up that as this kind of serial killer, like he enjoys the photography aspect. Oh yeah, of it, and also weirdly profits of it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the way uh, they are escaping, they're they're traveling, uh, and yeah. Tom Hanks has stopped off at a um, motel. Yeah. He's calling yeah. in to the wake of his wife and child. He chats yeah. to his sister there, who he's planning to go to. He's planning to flee to her house um uh and so uh he talks to her he says we're coming to you she says cool we'll be back in two days yeah uh, the wife's sister lives in a place called perdition um which yeah. obviously is where the name comes from right to perdition and if you uh, don't know perdition is a like euphemism for hell yeah um which again weird that you'd call this place hell but yes. sure whatever um, um but jude law has snuck into the wake he overhears the conversation. He dials one four seven one. Finds out where that um, uh, where that motel was. So at this point, mm-hmm. we get our first meeting of Tom Hanks and Jude Law's character. Uh, they've pulled into a little roadside diner. Tom Hanks leaves leaves his kid in the car for some reason. I don't really know why. Well, the, the, basically, the kid says he goes, "Come on, we gotta go eat." The kid's like, "I'm not hungry." He's like, "We gotta go eat." Not hungry, and it's kind of. I think basically the kid is still acting out, right? Like yeah. he resents his dad. I think he resents himself, and he, he he's acting out everywhere. So the dad goes in. Uh, he's he's having his food. Uh, Jude Law follows him in, sits uh, sort of next table over. They have a little yeah. conversation. Uh, immediately, as soon as he walks in, you get the idea that Tom Hanks is suspicious of this guy. Uh, he talks to Jude Law. They talk about what they do. Jude Law like is acting real fucking creepy, uh, and he's just like, you know, I know what I do. I shoot the dead. <laughs> but, you know, with a camera, I don't actually kill them. 
Um, yeah, uh, Jude Law is really fucking creepy in the scene. Uh, I really like oh, his yeah. performance. He's great. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, Tom Hanks is clearly getting really more and more um, uncomfortable. Uh, and Tom Hanks just is just like, yeah, no, I'm just a salesman. They have a little chat. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks pretends to be drunk. Pretends to be drunk. Uh, excuses Grabs himself to the bathroom. Grabs a knife on his way. Um, goes out the back. Gets in his car. Jude Law sees him, gets in his car, rush out, uh, and then sees that his car has been stabbed the, by the knife mm. the, the, and made a flat tire. Um, so as they're driving away, Tom Hanks is like, get the fuck down to his kid uh, as Jude mm-hmm. Law tries to shoot through the back window. Uh, they manage to escape. They pull off to the side, um, like into a field, and he screams at his kid like, if I tell you get the fuck down, that means get the fuck down, you little yeah, shit. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, and it's just like, look, your life is in my hands. Like, this is really, really serious now. Um, uh, and yeah, the kids are like, what do we do now? Where do we go? Are we go into sisters. And he's like, nope, we can't go there. That guy knows we're mm. going there. Um, but yeah, they've managed Does to want... escape Jude Law's first, uh, first yeah. attempt, essentially. Yeah. At this point, Tom Hanks basically decides that there's only one thing they can do. He needs a second man for it. Asks his son, look, are you in? His son goes, I'm in. Teaches him how to drive. And basically, their plan is to force Capone to give up uh, Connor. Like, yes. That if Connor is in Chicago and if Sh- Connor is under the protection of Capone, there's no way he's going to be able to get him without Capone giving him up. So what he does is the aim of the game is to start robbing all Capone's uh, banks. He's got banks set up over the city with money in. Yes. He's going to go but specifically is- only steal Capone's money. This is all presented through montage. And I want to say about this montage, mm. it's an odd tonal shift in what has been a in a very very serious film up until now we get like a not what i I can almost call it jokey there are active jokes in this montage of like him teaching his son to drive and then his son being the getaway driver but still being inexperienced there are like active jokes in these sections yeah shown in montage which was an odd tonal shift and i'll sort of come back to that when i come to the full thing but yeah so that's all shown through montage he's hitting all these banks and robbing people uh we Mm. only see the first one like in actual conversation where he's like what the fuck are you doing why are you doing this like he'll find out and then uh tom hanks like yeah no he will uh it's sullivan do you want me to write that down for you uh sullivan michael sullivan is doing this please do tell him and he pays off the bank manager and says look i will if i hear about this if i hear about you not telling al capone or you making up some other story for the putting in the paper yeah um then then, i'll kill you then i'll kill you but here's some money for your silence and yeah so he he keeps on stealing the money from capone to basically bribe him into giving up connor's location yeah at one point, this is the nice bit of dialogue where the kid goes, they're at kind of a diner together, the, 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 uh, not the barista, the, the waitress says, oh, what do you guys do? The kid's like, oh, we're... Um, bank robbers. We're bank robbers. The, the dad goes, ha no, we're just going on a trip. Um, the kid then asks uh, uh, Tom Hanks, um, you know, look, when am I going to get my share of the money? Tom Hanks goes, all right, how much do you want? He goes, $200. Hanks is like, sure. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> That's nothing when you're when you're robbing banks. Can, can I have asked for more money? He's like, you're never gonna know. Um, so which I don't know. It's just a nice bit. I think at this yeah. point we're really getting it set up that um, they're the becoming them, closer. Yeah, the, you know, having been very detached from one another at the beginning of the film, they're they're getting closer. That's all. Yeah. The, um, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, he he's going through the world, but I think at some point uh, he's impeded. Like the mob catches on. Uh, and so they stop him from being able to withdraw that money. So they go to visit um, John Rooney's accountant. 
He goes yeah. to visit him uh, at his hotel. Um, but it turns out that this is a setup. Uh, so the mm-hmm. the accountant is stalling. He's like trying to unlock the the um, uh, the case, which supposedly the, yeah. will have the money. But he's oh, I can't figure it out. The kid is outside, um, and he sees Jude Law's character. Uh, who's just been fucking a prostitute apparently for some reason um maybe not it might not be a prostitute it might just be a woman i don't know that might have been yeah. very presumptuous of me apologies um but yeah so jude laws is waiting waiting across watching to see when tom hanks there he crosses the road the kid sees jude law crosses the road starts honking 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 but in the hotel room there's like a ticker, a ticker tape, tape going on so he yeah. can't hear him um the guy finally gets the the trunk open but there's nothing in there just as Jude Law breaks in and starts shooting at him with a shotgun, um, mm. uh, how what happens? Some, something to do with it's glass happens. Basically, the kind of the yeah the sequence of events I think is something along the lines of um, the guy shooting Tom Hanks behind the case. Uh, the other guy, the accountant, runs out, gets shot. Tom Hanks, I think, shoots him in the side of the face, and I think it like bursts. A, I think he like it, he shoots him through, and there's like a it hits a, a vase or something, or something and, that, and that explodes sure. into into his face. Into his face. Um, so Tom Hanks goes out, finds a suitcase with the actual documents in it, grabs that, goes downstairs, gets into this car with his son. They're starting to drive away, and from the window, Hanks gets shot on the shoulder by uh, I think it's called Maguire. Um, yeah. Jude Law's character. Yeah. Uh, they're on the. They kind of go. They're going. They're going. They're going. The dad's kind of fading away. The kid uh, gets out of the city. Gets towards a farmhouse. Runs up the farmhouse. You know, crying. Hey, help! 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 These people, nice old people, come help them out. Um, take the bullets out. Hangs goes to sleep. And this. Uh, then they kind of spend a couple of days at the farm. At this point, we have sort of this, this conversation I really love, where he's like, where you know, the kid is looking after the dad. He's become the caregiver in this relationship. If you've seen The Last of Us, it's a bit like Ellie looking after Joel or something. Yeah. Um, and the kid says, "Do you?" I think actually, this, maybe early on, but the kid's like, "You blame me for the." Earlier on the film, the kid, the kid says, "You blame me for the death," and Dad said, "I don't blame you for the death." And here he goes, um, "Did you love whatever the other kid was called, Joshua, more than me?" You know, did you love your other son more than me? And he goes, I loved you exactly the same. I didn't love you anymore. And he goes, but you were different around me than you were around him. And Hank's kind of takes his beat and he's like, well, you know, he was such a sweet kid and you, you were too much like me and I, I didn't want you to be. And I, I just, it's just a really, really nice scene, really good dialogue, really well paced, which kind of sets up why these characters are too divergent. And it's because Michael, the younger is you know has violent tendencies who he is a bit of a brute like his dad was and his dad just doesn't want that for him his dad wants him to be redeemed you know he wants to be redeemed through his son they have the same name but hopefully his son is kind of something better than him um they then leave the house they decide that it's time to go uh wait no before they, before they leave he finds um uh some ledgers that show yeah. that uh connor John Rooney's son, yeah. or Daniel Craig, has been embezzling funds from um, from John Rooney this entire time. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So he finally ha- he has his evidence. So he's gonna he's like, cool, I've got my evidence. I'm gonna take that to John Rooney. He leaves the the family. I think he gives them some money that they've stolen from banks. Um, yeah. Thus, uh, you know, 
in encircling them in a life of crime for the rest of their days. They yeah. they have blood money on their hands, uh, oh, and okay. this this family is back? yes this this family is ruined for the rest of their days. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's also it's also at this point that they kind of set up. They, he kind of asks, "Look, do you guys have any kids?" And they say, "No, we met too late in life." So we know that they're childless. I wonder what's going to happen. So yeah. Um, anyway, so we kind of cut to church. Uh, John Reedy's in church. He's uh, taking communion because he's. A, he shouldn't be, but he's looking for some redemption. And uh, he sits back down, and behind him is, you know, a uh, betrayed uh, Tom Hanks. Hanks goes, "All right, you downstairs." Oh yeah, we should you say uh, through downstairs. through this uh, film, uh, Tom Hanks has very much lost his moustache. He's uh, got a got a grown a, um, grown a, uh, a scraggly little um, stubbly mm. beard. Uh, th- there are points where, like, when he's got the moustache, I'm like, "Oh yeah, okay, cool." Oh, there's so- there's Tom Hanks looking 1920s, and then when he's got mm. like the beard on, I'm like, "This is just fucking Tom Hanks in any other goddamn movie." Oh yeah, <laughs> he stops looking 1920s very quickly in this film. So, um, but yeah, so they, they meet downstairs. in like the crypt or something. It's kind of creepy. Pretty much, or just like the basement. It's kind of weird. And um, when he's there, Tom Hanks goes, "Look, I have proof that his son's stealing from you." Who are? And the dad's like, "So." And he's like, well, I'm going to go kill him. And I was like, well, you're going to expect me to give you the keys to my son? And there's, again, I, I keep on saying this, but there's a really brilliant bit of dialogue where he goes, there are only murderers in this room. You knew, and which I just, ah, oh, so good. And he kind of says, like, yeah. you knew this was the life when you took the life. You should just leave. You should. You, you can get out of this. I'm not going to, we're not going to follow you. You can just go, but I am not going to give you my son and allow you to murder my son. Which is, and you know, like, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. And he kind of says, "Look, I, you know, I don't want to. If you leave here now, I'm going to lose a son because he. And it's just, again, the brilliant dynamic. We kind of, it's the crux of it, really, where we kind of see that you know the surrogate son is asking to kill the the actual son, and there's a lot of father and son stuff. There are basically yeah. no women in this film whatsoever. Nope. Um, and uh, Tom Hanks goes, "Well, I'm going to do what I got to do." And, yeah. And, um, and really so then, like, yeah, I guess you do. then we get probably one of the visually best uh, sequences in this film. Which is uh, Tom uh, later one night. Uh, John Rooney is uh, leaving somewhere um, oh, in in the yeah. rain um, sure. with a bunch of bodyguards, uh, and then the score, which we haven't really talked about the music, but the music in this film oh, is great. So uh, it's, yeah, it's a really uh, good. Who's the? I can't remember, but the guy. Who, uh, the... It's his long time. It's his long time composer. I want to say. I want to say it's Thomas Newman. I think it's. Yeah, it's Thomas Newman. Yeah, Thomas Newman. Um, so, yeah, a really a composer who's got a very long storied uh, career and he uh, equally is great in this. Uh, same with the cinematographer. Yeah. The cinematographer ends up winning Best Cinematography for this. Um, posthumously, actually, I think this was his last film. Um, uh, but the cinematography is also fantastic in this. Uh, and this scene shows both of those things. So we have the score um, sort of uh, swelling to uh, to a climax as... We have no sound. It's chucking it down with rain, and we see yeah. a Tommy gun from the darkness. Well, not a Tommy gun. We, we, I, yeah. you could a machine gun of some sort, and it's the 1920s. I don't think it's a Tommy gun, is it? It is. Yeah. It is a Tommy gun. It's, but you don't know kind of, this because it's in car. the darkness. They're coming yeah, up to the a car. man. Um, yeah, the driver. Um, he kind of taps on the window. Newman, uh, not Newman does. Um, Rooney does. The driver kind of falls down. He's been shot. They look over. They see this Tommy gun in the dark, and just again in silence. All we have is the music. You see these shots and these people start to be mowed down. They are shot one by one by one by one. While Paul Newman is still facing away. He doesn't turn around. He knows who this is. He knows what's happening. Um, After all the bodyguards have been shot down. Again, this is just a visually stunning with the the rain. As we've said, the water representing death. Huge, huge thing in this film. Um, uh, As the rain is coming down, we then see Tom Hanks start to walk towards the car. 
Um, and yeah, he moves out of the darkness. Around. He sees. He says something along the lines of, "I, I come in the exact line. It's something like, at least, it, like I wanted it to be you." Yeah, yeah. I'm, gl- I'm, like gl- I'm glad it was you. I'm glad um, it was you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so then, uh, a, a clearly very conflicted Hanks, uh, then shoots. Yeah, he's kind of crying while he does it. Yeah. Just and like unloads a clip into yeah. this guy. Uh, we don't, and, again, we don't see the gore, but. But we hear we, the, we hear the gunshot for the first time. We didn't hear the gunshot in any of the uh, earlier uh, murders, but this time we hear the gunshot uh, for the first time. Yeah. Um, although my, Ellen did make the comment, a bit unnecessary to load like a whole clip in him. No, yeah. He, he, everyone else gets like one or two bullets. This guy has like, he's just riddled with bullets. Yeah. Um, um, and then we th- get... At this point, the, I think he then phones up uh, Tucci's character and Tucci says, look, Capone will give you up... Um, Connor, as fe- long as that's the end, we'll give you up Connor. As long as uh, this is done after this, as long as after this, this is done. He goes sure. Yep. Uh, and then he we goes get, upstairs. We get another visually great sequence of him walking through the hotel. He walks yeah. through. Uh, all the guards just let him through. It's the same hotel where he met Stanley Tucci before. So clearly, yeah. Al Capone is protecting Connor at this point. Um, he walks into the bathroom. We just see him shoot off screen. He walks back yeah. out and then we see the door swing open, which has a mirror on it. And that reveals mm. um, Daniel Craig dead. Uh, and actually, this is probably... Visually, visually stunning. Yeah, it's also one of the only times in the film where we really get a bit of gore. Like, yeah. it is a... It is graphic. The, yeah, you, you, know, you see, again, like, see the, the gunshot splatter on the wall. So you see the splatter. It, in my memory, you don't see brain, but like it looks it looks gory. Yes, um, oh yeah, yeah no, it is. He, he walks out. They kind of... At this point, he thinks he's done. That's great. So they he and his son drive get up. his car. Yeah. Before he left, he had left his son a letter. The son had read the letter. The son's really happy. His dad's back. They're on the road to perdition. Oh, uh, but actually, before that, we get probably my favourite shot of the film, which is cu- is him yeah. coming back. Uh, we're framed with yes. uh, the son sat in a doorway on the bed as half of the screen, and the other half of the screen is the hallway from where you would come up the stairs, walk around, and walk into the bedroom. Yeah. So we have that this, this isolated shot, shot of the sun. Yeah. Uh, and If you like that shot, yeah. the shot is quite Japanese. Like, it's, yeah. there are, like, like Kurosawa films have that, they, even all the way through the film, like, there are lots of doors, doors are a motif, and, like, the idea of the kind of framing people in this sort of way yeah. is very much a thing which happens in some yeah. Kurosawa films and things like that and it actually happens in kind of theatre too of this, this you know the anti-chamber and behind yeah. being where things happen and so a brilliant shot they, yeah. they hug they yeah. go on the road to perdition yeah uh, and so they um, end up uh, at uh, a beach house um, in uh, in perdition which is clearly his sister's house um, the, it's like weirdly idyllic like there's a dog yeah, that runs dog. out onto the beach and like it's all I, ah. I, I, I think yeah, and we're, we're sort of meant to be set up, you know, Hanks, he's, uh, earlier on they talk about the dog, you know, he says, you're in the place, the kid goes, there's a dog, and he goes, the kid's like, oh, I knew there was a dog, I told you. And they go forward, and he's running off, and you kind of see, and you think, oh, well, this is, you know, this is childhood, he's dating what he never had, even when he was back home with his dad, he was never really a child, he was out there working, he was kind of um, having a sad time, he, yeah. they, they go up into the, Hanks goes up into the house looking for his uh, wife's sister, calling out a name, you're right, it's idyllic, it's very white, it's very clean. He's um, looking out at his yeah. son. Well, yeah, the sun's and out then... on the beach, and then, uh, and again we get what, like, as you said, these the last two deaths are the only gory ones. We get some actual gore yeah. here. Tom Hanks has been shot by a disfigured um, uh, Jude Law, yeah. who's finally come back to him, uh, and uh, then he starts to set up the camera to take the photo of him, and he's like, "Smile," because this guy's a yeah. creepy and, fucking. And cunt. Again, 
Hanks is not even dead at this point. He's just slowly dying out. Jude Lord's the side of his face is just stitched up from all this glass having been removed from it. It's disgu- it, it is gross. Um, he's setting up for it. We hear the click of a hammer of a gun. He turns uh, around. Yeah, and then Michael and Jr. And it's there. Michael Jr. And he's standing there, and he has the gun out, and he's looking at um, the Maguire. He's looking for. Uh, he's looking to shoot him. He's looking to shoot him. The guy's like, "Give me the gun." Uh, Tom Hanks is shaking his head, and it, it, it's great because we can't really tell if Tom Hanks is shaking his head because he, it's like, "Don't give him the gun," or if it's, "Don't, don't shoot, shoot him. him." Yeah, yeah. Um, and we don't we don't know which of the two it is. It happens. It happens. We hear a gunshot. Maguire falls forwards, hits the floor. Tom Hanks has shot him, meaning that his son never has to kill anyone. Yeah, that unlike him, he is not put on the road to perdition. He is, you know, he he never takes a life. His soul remains pure. Yeah. Um, Hanks dies. Uh, at this point, we go back to the narration of the film. If you forgot the narration of this film, hey, there's some narration in this film. Yeah. He talks about how people people ask him whether or not his father was a good man or a bad man, and he says, "Look, he was my father." Um, he goes to, and then there's the worst line of dialogue in the film, and this yes, is the only thing. It's the literally the last. Where it's like, I line. never held a gun again, and I'm like, this is such a weird movie. Like yeah. the, the bit where he goes, I never held a gun again. I'm just like, this is this is too much. Yeah, and what what's the actual last line? Um, the, the, I can't remember, but there's some really cheesy last line. But uh, I think the main the main issue with this last narration which uh, Ellen pointed out, is that it's the kid's voice. So the kid saying, I never held a gun again. It's like, cool, this is you talking like... It's the kid talking like someone reflecting on their life years, years, years later, but it's the kid's voice. It's very odd. So apparently apparently the comic is narrated from um, the adult perspective. So it is the the child as an adult is narrating it, but as he is um, preparing to become a priest. And like... That would have been a much better frame for the movie, I think, than this. Which, again, have you seen... I should touch on it a bit later, but... Um, yeah, it does take away something from the ending. He goes back off to live with the older couple at the farm. It's something like, people say I grew up on a farm, and I guess I did. Oh, maybe this is the last time. Um, but really, I grew up on... But I, I, li- but I, had a, I, I lived a, whole, a lifetime a whole life before, before then, that. For that. The six weeks I was on the road with... Maguire. Um, not Maguire. Um, uh, Sullivan. Michael Sullivan. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about this movie. Um, I I get the sense that you really loved this movie. Yeah, sort of. I, I It's one of those weird ones where I think I intellectually love it more than I do necessarily emotionally. Like, I do, I do really like it emotionally. There are really great bits in it, which I do like. Um, I do like... I like the how little dialogue there is in it. I like how... But it, for a film which is largely not spoken, it com- deals with really complex themes about like redemption, about fathers and sons. Do we inherit the sins of our fathers? Are we redeemed through our children? Um, the image is really great. It's shot fantastically. I think oh yeah, the cinematography is all. incredible. Yeah. And that's that's true of most Mandit's films, right? Like he has great cinematographers. He works really well with them. He knows what he wants to shoot, and that's always brilliant. I don't like the framing narrative. Um, no. And the, it, like this is very much something which, uh, if you've watched the recent movie um, Ford vs Ferrari, which is a film I actually really like, but which ends in the what like has an ending where I'm like, this is you ended five minutes too late, too late. Like if you'd ended it five minutes earlier, this would have been a brilliant ending. You had a good ending in your film, and instead you felt like we as the audience needed an uncomplicated 
emotional ending, right? Like, that we needed stuff explained for us, we needed a more traditional beat, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Whereas in reality, I think it'd be okay if things were slightly more ambiguous. It'd be okay if we didn't know what happened 50 years in the future. We don't need that. It would be better had he just died cradling his dad in his hands. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, that would be a better yeah. ending. Um, um, wh- how do you feel about it? I'm really conflicted about this film. Um, I yeah. fully agree. Uh, the music, cinematography, great. The performances, almost across the yeah. board, uh, are great. Yeah. Unfortunately, except for the kid, and I don't yeah, like to. Ins- I don't like to insult. I'm, it, it's no Charlie fault says, of his yeah. own, but yeah. I don't think the kid is great in this film, and that sort of ties to one of my biggest issues with this film, which is I feel like the kid should be the emotional core. I feel yeah, like, I the, if, especially if you're going to give that framing of it starts and ends with the kid, the more interesting story is the mm. kid dealing with these things. Yeah. And so the fact that the kid is a slightly weaker performer and the fact that you've got Tom Hanks as your main role, so you feel like you need to focus on him, kind of takes yeah. away from that. And that's sad to me. Yeah, I get that. And additionally, that also links to a thing, and it's it's rough to say on the Tom Hanks podcast, I don't think Tom Hanks should have been cast in this role. Yeah, and Liz said this too, actually. She said the exact same thing. I'll, and I'll explain why. And it, it sort of ties into uh, something you've said. So you've got that, uh, something which I'm really good at uh, observation, that idea of um, these two lives that he leads, that he wants to keep them separate. Yeah. He wants to be the father and he wants to be the, uh, to have that separate life of being this violent monster. And Tom Hanks, obviously fantastic at that father role we've seen him play that before he's incredible at it and he hits those emotional beats well but i don't believe him at all as like this violent monster and so i Mm. like he's he's not naturally an intimidating man and that sort of undercuts a lot of the other messages of the film. Like, I, I mentioned this to Ellen at the end. When when he's saying this thing of like, oh, I didn't want you to turn out like me. I'm sort of sitting there going, why? You seem like a pretty chill guy. <laughs> like, you don't, yeah. you don't get this. Like, this film would be a lot more powerful if you get that idea of, yeah, no, he is a ruthless monster. Like, he is a killer. And you really, yeah. you really, to me, don't get that sense from him. And I, I, I can't, I, I can't tell whether that is a fault of performance, which I don't think it is. I think Tom Hanks is giving a very good performance here. I think it's mm-hmm. more an unfortunate fault of me already having a very predefined image of who Tom Hanks yeah. is, and that's unfortunate. I, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely something which I think a lot of actors who... And obviously, Tom Hanks isn't necessarily like a like a Daniel... Not Daniel Craig, Daniel Radcliffe or someone, right? Like, he like he grew up with... Yeah, it, when, when you have a character really deeply associated with you, when you have like a type really deeply associated with you, I think it means audiences come in with a certain reaction. Yeah. With an expectation. And like, what you can do is you can fight violently against this. So the film could have been even, could have been really gory, could have been really aggressive. Tom Hanks could have screamed people's faces. And I think that might have made it easier for us to be like, whoa, Tom Hanks, different thing. What I will say is that I feel like it's about a time in history. Like, what I will say to its credit about the fact that like, Tom Hanks doesn't really play it in like immensely intimidating right he plays it very stoically his child is stoic and i say the, the child's performance too is that for me it feels like a treatise on how met like on the patriarchy in the, 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 the we're going to fun 
theory stuff now, but, like, the patriarchy in the sense that these men are not really allowed to express emotion. Yeah. That, like, he is, he is a lieutenant, so the boss, the boss is allowed to express emotion, right? Like, the people who are um, in a position of financial power, so, like, Connor and John, are allowed to be angry, and they're allowed to lash out, and they're allowed to be um, cruel and violent and hit the kid and hug the kid and all that kind of stuff. But someone like uh, Mike, both Michaels, who are, you know, as I said up in the, earlier in the film, they're not rich, they're not poor, but they aren't rich. They depend entirely financially upon this one guy. They depend upon this one career. They need to be a professional in an absolute, utter sense. They are then forced to push down their emotions, right? It's it's not necessarily that like he's evil in the sense of he like, he is like Maguire, who is in the film, you know, Jude Law's character, who is an explicit evil in this film, right? Yeah. He takes joy from killing. He takes photos and killing. He langers in it. Uh, he loves it intensely. And he's not evil in the sense of um, someone like... in that Someone even like uh, Rooney himself, either Rooney, who, who are both, by their power, are choosing who lives or dies. As I said up in the beginning of the film, they are God. They, they, they get to decide all these things. Instead, he is a tool, and he kind of is forced to suppress everything about him. His evil is in his actions rather than in, than in his being if you know what i mean like he's evil yeah. because of what he does not because necessarily who he is but those two things are sort of play into one another um and because those things are why i like the film of like the, you know the the idea that like you sort of realize as a child you don't consider your father a person to some extent like your parents are like in the same way that you when you see teachers outside of school and you're 10 you're like ah oh, teachers oh this is weird to some extent you see your parents as parents before you see them as people and the film is sort of about this child learning to comprehend his father so and but a man who is himself so unredeemable that he does not know what to do with his child like he's a man who is not really a father so although he is slightly paternalistic you know he has the classic tom hanks kind of detached thing semi-detached it's definitely on the dick meter here or even murders a lot of people but <laughs> I, um, I totally forgot that we even have the dick meter i haven't even considered that yeah no exactly oh, God. that'll be a weird time but uh, for me there are there are bits about it where i i agree like it is emotionally detached and that like the casting is is does affect what you bring to the film and therefore i think i agree like it would have been nice to have seen more scary but there's just so much stuff there that i really love in terms of like if, if what, you know, obviously there's kind of like two aspects of watching a film. You There's the enjoyment you get from watching it, or what you take from literally watching it, and then what you take from having watched it. In the way that, like, yeah. I don't really love Jane Austen books, but I like having read Jane Austen books. And this film is one which I like watching, but I really like having watched, because it makes me think about stuff for the rest of the day. You know, it's a film where, a bit like Parasite, actually, where Parasite is even, it's definitely best in this film, but is a film which when you watch it, it is enjoyable, and then it is really enjoyable thinking about it later on, and because it hits those two parts, it's great. I think this film hits one of those two things really well, and one, okay. You know, one is enjoyable mainly, like you said, because of things like the score, the cinematography, and some of the other performances, more than necessarily the kind of emotional core of the film, but the the after, the having watched this film is, is really enjoyable for me. So Yeah, no, that, um, really, I would that, that give, really makes sense. I would give the film... I'd give the film a five out of five oh wow five okay um yeah i can't i yeah i've i've really been thinking about this i don't know i, I still don't know what i'm gonna give it i think the other thing sure. that i and i never say this about films because as you know i i love a good uh 90 minute film i love a good short film 
I think this film needed longer. This film is only an hour 52. And it's it's actually, it's telling a huge story. And I'll tell you why I think it needed longer. It's -hmm. it's for a couple of reasons. Firstly, the fact that they have two really inciting incidents mean that that first act really need, is like all circled around those two inciting incidents. And if the idea of a three act structure is like, you build what the normal is and then the inciting incidents break that normal. I think the beginning needed a little bit longer establishing that normal. So I think we need Mm. a little bit longer really establishing that relationship between uh, Tom Hanks's character and Paul Newman's character. I think for, for me that, I get what they were trying to do when we come to the end, when we have him saying we're all uh, we're all murderers here and we have the murder of the Paul of Paul Newman. I really get what they're going for, but it didn't quite hit as well for me because they haven't established that relationship early. And then also that relationship between Tom Hanks and his son. Like if if we see more of like that early on, then we see more of the development of that relationship later on. And even even just like the whiplash of the tonal shifts, like these weird happy moments in the middle of the film. I, I think we've we've talked about this before. I think it's mostly in Castaway. I don't like when yeah. bad things happen, like traumatic things happen to people in films and then we don't really see them reckoning with it. Like the, we never really, we see Tom Hanks do it a little bit, we, but we never see this kid really reckon with the fact that his brother and his mum are dead. Yeah. I Here's my thing. I would, I would, politely disagree with that only in the sense of like no i i uh, i want you to rudely disagree with me okay i will really disagree with that. i think you're absolute tit um <laughs> i i think that it's uh fairly early on like i think it, it kind of follows in from the same stuff as uh his kind of reckoning with the, the idea that his dad has murdered someone his idea of seeing death earlier in the film like he's seen a, he's seen other bodies earlier and i think he it's a kind of a, a prolonged kind of reaction to that death but he has the th- you know that his the stuff like him refusing to go in with, to eat with his dad, you know the the bit where he sh- sh- you know shouts at his dad saying you blame me f- you know you think it's my fault they died you think it's my fault they died yeah is him saying I think it's my fault they died and I think you do uh, agree it doesn't linger much longer after that scene yeah. or at least it doesn't feel like it lingers much longer after the scene but we do later on get him say well you love this other kid more right he, they are it's I I Castaway I think is probably a better example of it in that like they really never explicitly talk about it almost to a point they never really talk about yeah it, uh, being on the island after he leaves the island but i think in this at least sometimes they do they it's not all the time i agree it's probably not as much of the film as it could have been maybe could have done some more but they do have that one big scene where they have the argument and then later on they do talk about the fact that there's the whole like you loved him more kind of thing yeah and i i, I the other thing i would say is like the fact the, the conversation his dad has and this plays into my whole patriarchy thing where he's like there is nothing in this house this house there's nothing in this house for us anymore yeah, is the dad trying to tell the kid, you need to shut this out. You need to shut down your emotion. You need to forget the past. There is only the present, and there's only the future. Oh yeah, that's fair. Um, so I get where you're coming from. I think that I think the film tries to do other things. It just maybe may not be as successful. Yeah. As no, yeah, no. I think, I think, I, yeah, I, I, from what you said, they, I definitely wasn't giving it enough credit. As, as I say, I still think it could have done more, but yeah. I definitely wasn't giving it enough credit. Yeah, no, I um, sure. I, I think. I was I was I was wavering between a three point five and a four. I think the fact that yeah. the music and the cinematography are so yeah. brilliant in this, so and brilliant. I really yeah. think anyone should watch it purely because of those things. Um, I'm going to give mm-hmm. it a four uh, because just as someone who really, really likes uh, someone who has been wanky enough to out loud say on many occasions, "Wow, what a great shot!" 
while watching a yeah. film. Um, Ooh, I'm, look at that one trip. Yep, yeah. I'm I'm a dickhead like that, so I have to give this a four. Um, oh, brilliant. God, we, we didn't even... Uh, for anyone, new listeners, we obviously rate these films out of five. We then uh, rate Tom Hanks' performance yep. out of five. We then rate the Tom Hanks dick meter out of five. How much of a dick is Tom Hanks in this film? Uh, and then we decide whether it goes on a Hanks bank. So those are our two ratings of the film. Um, Tom Hanks... Well, <laughs> this is such a long podcast, so we'll, we'll rush through the rest of the ratings. Yeah. And we've said enough about this film. Sure. Um, but, but I think we've... We've, we've set everything up. So for me, yeah. at least for the, the Tom Hanks performance, I think it's a four. I think it's a really good performance. I don't think it's an amazing performance. Um, I think there are better performances in the film. I think Paul Newman gives a much better performance. Yeah. I think um, other people give weirder performances. I think Tom Hanks is like... I was thinking about this. He's sort of like a blank... Very much a blank slate in this film. He is like... You project onto him what you want to project onto him. He is like the... the I think it's the Kudrow effect. I can't remember what it's called. Kudrow effect. But like... It's, yeah, he is a cipher for you to decide what you think on him, rather than he gives an awful lot. Like it, it's unlike a normal Hanks performance, which is normally him giving a lot more. Here, he is giving very little. Yeah. Um. But I think well. So I think four. I think his yeah. performance. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'd agree. I also give him four. I can't. Re- I can't detract from his performance just because I don't think he should have been cast in it. I think having been sure. cast in it, he's done uh, very well yeah. in it. Agree. I agree. Paul Newman. I mean, Paul Newman got nominated for a bunch of awards for this. Um, yeah, unsurprisingly, he got nominated. The, the the film was nominated for five Academy Awards. Wow. One one for best uh, uh, cinematography. Um, and then I think Jude Law. I think Jude Law's brilliant in this. He's really only in two scenes, three scenes, but I think he does really, really well. I think um, he does very well. Yeah. Uh, especially considering he's super young. I think he's like twenty six at the time. He doesn't look twenty six because yeah, he's balding. No. Um, but um, no, he does. He does really, really well. Uh, I think Daniel Craig's kind of shit in this film. <laughs> uh, I think Daniel Craig is like a weird actor in general. Like I love him. I love him to bits and like a load of stuff. Like Lair Cake is great, but I think he is like an interestingly weird actor. Yeah. Um, and, like, and then the Tom Hanks dick meter. I'll I'll go first because I'm always interested to hear your dick meter on characters who are murderers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think. While he is a murderer, I think you have to take the context in which he is a murderer in that he is growing Mm. up both in Depression era, United States in the 20s. He is an orphan who was adopted by a mob boss, essentially not not formally adopted, but, you know, raised by a mob boss. So in that context, like he's doing pretty well. Um, So I'm going to I'm going to give him a three because he is still a murderer. Like you can't really get away with that. But you know, in the in the context of murderers, you know, he's well. Everyone a murderer is here, like Paul Newman says. Uh, you know, he's probably one of the better ones. It's what I find interesting is, and I had this conversation, like pretty much this is some conversation. This is what I meant, sort of what I meant, but I was like, I, like having seen the film, well, then I, where I was kind of like, you know, what is the efficacy of? I think it brings up stuff like, what is the efficacy of killing people? Like, is it okay to kill bad? Like, he's killing people who are doing bad things, I guess, but he's also doing it for a bad reason. It's kind of it's mentioned early on. He might have been a war hero. He may have fought in the First World War. Um, you know, so it's you know someone who is trained to kill in war, who continues to kill. You know, is is obviously wrong. Murder is unethical. But at the same time, you're right. To what degree is he? Does that make him unethical on the sliding scale of this film? And I, I think that's a more interesting one. He doesn't torture people, so clearly he's not a six. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the main thing. I, I, torture is the, the big no-no for me. I, I obviously, it's just like murder too. Ooh. Well, when they're what, what what would you define when they're interrogating the man early on in the film? It's I, it's it's not necessarily torture, but he's tied up from the the, oh, the, no, the guy no, no, after I, the no, break. I, I don't. I wouldn't count that as 
I don't, he's not tied up, I think. He's just sitting on a chair. Oh, is he just sitting on a chair? Think, okay, fair enough. I think he's just sitting on a chair, and then I, I, I think that's an intent. Oh, yes, yeah, so he has to be sitting on the chair because he falls out of the chair when yeah. he gets shot. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's not... I would call that not torture if just because I think the intent going in there was just to have a conversation, a threatening conversation with him rather than to, like... Stop well, breaking his nose. Uh, I'm going to be taking you to yes. Geneva next week. And we're, we're going to have I mean, your defense enough. of uh, what is and isn't torture. <laughs> quite right. Quite right. Um, I I think I, I am obliged, I think, to give him a five. If just because <laughs> I think... They, 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 I think because the film wants you to think that he's a five. I, I don't think the film actually makes him a five. But there's, and again, in the, in the brilliant scene with him and Paul Newman in the basement, where he goes, no, where Paul Newman goes, none of us are going to heaven. Yeah, that's the only thing we can be certain of is winter going to hell, and the film suggests there maybe is some sense of uh, being redeemed by the way you treat your parents, by the way by the way you treat your children, the way, by the way your children live, especially as the child has the same name as him. He is his father's redemption, but he is but he is not redeemed. He is unredeemed, and only in, through his time will he maybe be better. Oh yeah, long time. Um, so you know, with with that, I would give him a fight. He murders way too many people, <laughs> and doesn't and doesn't really care about it. To so, like, to be well, how many people does he murder in this film? Probably around nine. Oh god, I think it's nuts. no, because he, no, he murders at least nine in the one scene where he murders Sam Paul Newman. So, uh, yeah, fair well, enough. He's he's in double digits in this film. This might, oh, he's in double digits. This is this the highest body count? Like, because we don't see in the in the war films we've Probably. seen him in, we haven't. We don't. I don't think yeah, we see him see expressly murdering anyone. Um, so this might be the highest body count we've seen unless does he kill a lot of people in Dragnet I can't really remember oh well he talks a lot of people in Dragnet can I just (laughs) say what I would really recommend is watching this film in conjunction maybe like the same week as watching The Irishman because I think they deal on a lot of similar themes being a hitman for the mob you're rolling the mob but whereas in this the guy seeks for some redemption whether or not he finds it is questionable in The Irishman he seeks no redemption and is therefore isolated from his children if his children are the future then his in the irishman uh, frank's kids look at on him with disgust and but here as a man who chose instead of bowing to the mob to fight it maybe get some redemption maybe he's a four in the dick meter give him a four in the dick meter you're gonna be four okay i will adjust that in our comprehensive spreadsheet um cool. and then is this going in your hanks bank um, you know what? I'm not sure if it's just I haven't done one of these in a long time. Maybe I'm getting soft. Yeah, it's gonna go my Hanks bank. I think it's I think it's worth a watch for anyone, and I think it's a very different Hanks film. So I I, I like it as a both as a Sam Mendes like a good movie, good movie, and also as a let's have a look at the breadth of Tom Hanks's performance. I think it's good. Yeah, uh, I I've been wavering between not putting it in and putting it in. I think I have. I've I've been looking back on our spreadsheet and looking at some of the other other things in in my Hanks bank. Joe versus the volcano is in there. Happy Days in in there. Polar Express is in there. I think. I think. Can I really? If if say I were to meet Sam Mendes, and I, and I were to yeah. tell him that I put Joe versus the volcano in my Hanks bank and not Road to Perdition. I think uh, I think that would be very unfair of me. So I think I do have to put um, Rhodes Edition in my Hanks bank. Um, as yeah, as I say, I think I think anyone should watch this film, even though we spoiled the whole fucking thing because it's a visually and, still and sonically great film. Yeah. Um, but oh, also, yeah, yeah. everyone should be watching every film before they listen to the podcast. Of course, you should be yeah, watching course, along guys. with us, going on this Tom Hanks journey. What? 
what should people watch next week then, Jamie? Uh, next week, you should watch Catch Me If You Can, which is very exciting. Uh, I've seen that before, but I haven't watched it for a very oh, long yeah, time. Um, it's also yeah. uh, going to be our year anniversary of the podcast, which oh. is terrifying and exciting. Um, obviously, yeah, when yeah. normally if things don't go now at Hank's Bank, we'd say what uh, saves humanity this week. But this film is going to save humanity this week for both of us. So with that, and I'll rush through this because, goodness gracious, we're probably coming on our oh, longest yeah. podcast. Um you can follow us at Hank's Bank Pod. You can follow me at Jamie P. Loxon. You follow Al and follow his uh, unemployed job search story uh, on Al at, at Al underscore C's underscore stuff. Um, I'd like to give a uh, special thanks, uh, of course, to my dear girlfriend for writing the historical context this week and for sitting in the room quietly the entire time. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, do you have any? Oh, yeah. what, what, obviously, what do you want yeah, our, sure. our dear listeners to do? Look, look, this is very important to me and all I really care about. Literally, it's all I care about. Do I care about getting a job? Yeah, I guess, kind of. What I really care about is you going out, finding your friends' phones, taking the phones, downloading all 51 episodes of this podcast. That's right, 51 episodes. Delete all their treasured family memories. Get rid of those photos. Get rid of every other podcast. Get rid of all their other apps. I don't want you to download every episode. And I don't want you to leave a threatening sticker on the front saying, listen to it, all right? And then re-download it again because you're a bad boy um i would like to thank Alyssa, who's been in the same room as me uh i, I won't thank Alyssa um because she started folding a box and uh, i was being passive aggressive about that so we're, we're somewhere in between um cool i UK, i may, I may I well say have chopped that out riddance. of the podcast so i don't think they will have heard that bit but <laughs> ah, thank god there we go maybe passive aggressive uh thank you very much then jamie well uh, there we go i was never passive aggressive what are you talking about that's impossible for me uh yeah to the uk i say haha goodbye uh and to jamie i say hello dear friend i'll see you soon so for me jamie and my co-host al that's one more ep in the bank Pew, 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 murder! <laughs> Hank's back.